Hey, this is Ethan Embry, and you're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies this is episode 187 and it's brought to you by our movie podcast network patrons on horror movie podcast you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies this is gill man joel robertson and my co-hosts are Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, welcome to the world full of misery from top to bottom. That quote is apropos considering what we're trying to do in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 187, you know, like the police code for murder. Just saying. Yikes. Yeah. And we're releasing this episode on Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th, everyone. Yep. Friday the 13th of December, which is Joe Bob's Red Christmas, if you're a Shutter subscriber. Excellent. So we are testing out something tonight that we're hoping to do often in the new year, which is kind of a live show. So in the future, you'll be able to... Uh, interact with us while we're recording these episodes live, but there's also going to be less editing, uh, less fine tuning on the post-production side. And it will be kind of more like a radio show, like Howard Stern's serious radio kind of a thing, uh, as opposed to our, what our normal Frankensteinian episodes are. Our themed episodes will remain exactly the same as they've always, as they always have been more highly produced, and kind of more refined. But as we do these Frankensteinian shows, which is really just a collection, kind of a hodgepodge of what we've been watching lately, we are going to try to do these live. So uh, they will still post to the podcast feed, just as like a regular podcast with a few little things clipped here or there if we need to. But you can actually tune in live. We haven't decided yet what the platform will be, whether that will be YouTube or Twitch. But this will be something that uh, listeners can come and interact with us while we're recording if we want. We're going to do that once per month is the idea. Each month we'll do a Frankensteinian show live and then a regular themed episode. So really excited about this. This is our test run. And let's get to it. And I'm excited as well. And I believe that Dave will agree with me when we say this is the real point of this is to prevent Wolfman from eating a silver bullet <laughs> to, right. to yeah, spend ab- the absolutely. majority of his life editing uh, a show that quite honestly, these episodes can be like a conversation. We're all friends here. Uh, you guys are our friends. We love these movies together. And so the whole point is us sharing our love for these movies with you. So really quick before we get going, I wanted to 
announce something because we have two of our biggest shows of the year coming up. Well, one of our biggest shows of the year coming up is always our top 10 movies of the previous year. So we are going to be talking about our top 10 horror movies of 2019. That will be our first show in the month of January. And it's not just our top 10 list. We are looking for our listeners top 10 list as well. So as we go around and tell each of our number 10, number nine, number eight, and count down to our glorious number one. We'll also be reading the listeners collective top 10 lists. We're going to do it a little bit differently than we have in the past. We're going to try to streamline the approach to it a little bit. And so what we're going to do is I'm creating a blog post at horrormoviepodcast.com. There will be a link there or the information will be embedded in the post I'm not sure exactly which one we're going to do yet, but basically you're going to go and you're going to enter your top 10 movies. Now here's the catch. If you want your film to be represented, it needs to be spelled exactly correctly. If you have a typo, it's not going to be counted toward the grand total. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the official IMDb internet movie database, IMDb spellings of those names. So while We may talk about, say, a foreign film by its original language title for the purposes of this, just so we can count all of the votes correctly and we're all on the same page. We are going to, I'm going to ask you to go to IMDb, look up the title of the film, and make sure you spell it exactly as it's spelled. And and Josh, just to drop in here, this isn't just because you're a grammar Nazi. No, this is because the form we're using will require it to be spelled correctly in order to be counted. The form is the grammar Nazi. Got it. Yes. No, I punch Nazis. (laughs) That's that's the one exception to my no violence policy. So I don't is a grammar Nazi really a Nazi. I just thought it was like a sure. Well, you know, I don't take any chances with Nazis. So grammar Nazis and and, uh, white supremacists alike. All Nazis be warned. (laughs) Grammar or otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) You're on notice. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, please join us. I know a lot of our listeners in the past have emailed in their top 10 lists. That's not going to work this year, especially if you use our old email address. Those emails are not being forwarded to us. So make sure you go to horrormoviepodcast.com and check out the link or the embedded form. It will be a Google form on which you will enter your top 10 movies for 2019. Now, additionally, we are going to be reading some of the listeners' mini-reviews or micro-reviews of some of your favorite films of the year. What we would like you to do is, if you'd like to participate in that way, email us your review only for your number one film. So, you know, we don't need reviews of all 10 films. Some people have done that in the past. For your number one film, please write out your mini-review, and there's a good chance that will be read aloud on the show. Very cool. Also coming up, my favorite of the year, but not necessarily one of our biggest shows of the year, is our Christmas horror episode. I think it's so much fun. I love the history of telling scary ghost stories around Christmas time, and I, I just love Christmas horror. It's one of my favorites. We are going to be talking about one of Joel's favorite films. I won't say too much more, but I think you guys can all guess what direction we're going with that, as well as several new release horror Christmas horror films from 2019. So it's going to be a great year for our Christmas horror episode. That will be next, followed by our top 10 movies of 2019. If you want to submit your top 10 horror movies of 2019, please do that within the calendar year of 2019. If it gets to 2020 and I don't have your list, it's probably not going to make it on the show. Just FYI. 
All right, Wolfman, well, thank you for that. And uh, let's go ahead and move on into the meat and potatoes of the show. Let's do it. We are going to be covering the 28 2019 horror movies that we are putting out for your consideration. So these are all movies that at least one of us here has already seen this year, correct? Yeah, and this will be kind of in the uh, frame of our Cutting Heads episodes that we've done in the past where we just do a ton of reviews but we're just going to go back to back to back to back they're kind of going to be in mini review or micro review even form and then we'll do one or two longer feature length reviews uh during the evening so yes all right so i guess to kick it right off you guys want to jump right into it with our first movie we're gonna be doing these in alphabetical alphabetical order as well so i want to make sure we say that up front so people when they hear the first few titles here they're like these are the, are these like the top movies? What, what is happening right now? But we're doing them in alphabetical order. That is the game plan. Yes. All right. So you guys want to start us off with a uh, little overview of Bliss. Yeah, Bliss is a 2019 film, as all of these are tonight. Uh, this is directed by Joe Begos. And Joe Begos is kind of a cult director. A lot of people like him for his film Almost Human. Um, he's also done The Mind's Eye. Bad Moon Rising uh, was a video short film that he did that got a lot of attention. A lot of his work has been loved because of its kind of indie spirit and practical effects. And he was just having a difficult time getting his next feature made despite kind of the fan appreciation for his films. And so as the story goes, he fired his agent and he made two films back to back with kind of his own money or super low budget. And this is one of the films that he came up with during that time. So uh, the other one being VFW, which is coming out on Valentine's day. Now bliss is on face value, a film about a young painter in Los Angeles, who is kind of at a block in terms of her artistic work. She's also just struggling with her love life and paying her rent and her agent. And she's just having a, a lot of kind of personal issues as she kind of spirals into insanity due to her inability to finish her latest painting. And then during this time, she takes a pretty intense narcotic drug and that kind of sends her spiraling further. Now, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say because it's out there in the world that this is kind of a new take on a vampire film. And I knew that going in and I was kind of waiting for it. So I could see if you didn't know that going in, how it would be kind of a big shock kind of surprise, but um, that's kind of been the way they've been selling it. So I'm not, um, I don't feel like that's too spoilerish to let people know that up front. I will say I thought it was very artfully done. The imagery is just very psychedelic and beautiful at times and horrifying at times. There's a fountains of blood in the film. There are some funny thematic ideas with uh, the way it treats those who have kind of risen back from the dead and uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, I really liked this artistic choice, which ultimately I feel like was a bit overdone by the end where they did the Steven Soderbergh style pie cam. But I, I like that look. And the first time I saw it, I didn't even realize they were doing it. I was like, you know what that looked like? That looked like the Spike Lee thing where he puts someone on the dolly and moves them with the dolly. And then I realized later because they use it a lot that it was the it was the Soderbergh pie cam. But anyway, um, just a really stylish film. 
Um, it's not going to make my top 10 of the year. I don't think at this point I was really hoping it would, it may still stick in the bottom, but for me, I'm going to give this one a eight out of 10 and call it a rental. I think for me, I'm just at a stage where I'll mention this several times tonight, watching someone slowly go insane is not necessarily my idea of a good time at this point in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually I have this on my queue. I've been wanting to see this for quite some time. So thank you for the. But I, I mean, it, it may not be in your top 10, but that was a, a pretty high rating. So I'm good to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a high quality film, not super enjoyable. I've already said I don't necessarily love drug films. And this definitely has a coked up, you know, type of movie feel to it. What about you, Dave? What would you give this one? You know what? I, it's interesting that you mentioned the, um, the, uh, the vampire twist because I did not know that going in. And that did... I guess come as a surprise to me and I it made the movie more effective I believe for me um it took a while for me to to get into the spirit of it Desi is fairly irritating at the outset the main character uh I guess because of everything she's going through but I was drawn into this world this and it's a chaotic world you know, as, as, as the director lays it out, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very artistic, like you said, and frenzied and violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when you find out what's happening to her and, and the way it, it sort of manifests itself in, in the last 20, 30 minutes of the film, uh, it was intense. And, and I was like, wow, I was really, really impressed. Um, I don't know yet if this will make, I still have a lot of movies to see if this will make my top 10, but I give it an eight out of 10. And I think it's one that people should definitely see. I really enjoyed the performances of like Jeremy Gardner, who's the star and director of the battery is Mm -hmm. in this. He's awesome in it. Um, there are little kind of cameos by George Went and Abraham Ben Ruby, which I thought yeah. were really fun. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty good cast too. And I thought Dora Madison as Desi was really good. Now, I have heard we had one of our listeners contact us and she said as a woman, like for her, it just felt too exploitative. There was just too much sex and violence mixed together, too much nudity, and she she didn't love that. I wish I had her name in front of me, but I could see that. Um, it's an extremely explicit film. I mm-hmm. do believe it's unrated, but I, I think the director has kind of alluded to that. This would have been an NC 17. So mm-hmm. I can see that. Yep. So don't watch it with the kids is what you're saying. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> All right. All right, Dave, what about Boar? B O A R. I should probably make sure I spell it. So people don't think it's yeah. B R E. Yes. Right. Okay. I'm just going to give the quick IMDB synopsis for this. In the harsh yet beautiful Australian outback lives a beast, an animal of staggering size with a ruthless driving need for blood and destruction. It cares for none, defends its territory with brutal force, and kills with a raw animalistic savagery unlike any have seen before. I don't know how this person who wrote this can say it cares for none. I don't know how you (laughs) could figure that out with a boar. Uh, I'm sure it cares for something. But anyway, um, this movie, it was directed by Chris Sun. It actually has an amazing cast. John Jarrett, Mick Taylor from Wolf Creek, plays a key role. And Bill Mosley is in this movie. Uh, In addition, Nathan Jones, the gargantuan actor who played the title character in 2014's Charlie's Farm, he turns up. 
And uh, you're probably going to recognize a few of the supporting cast as well. You got Australian actor uh, Roger Ward. He's a character actor. He was in the original Mad Max. And he played a sadistic guard in Turkey Shoot, which was released here in the U.S. as Escape 2000. It's kind of an exploitation classic. Uh, and also Chris Haywood was in Breaker Morant and 1984's Razorback. And Razorback is a movie that definitely leaps to mind more than once as you watch Boar. You know, both are about these wild animals that have grown to an amazing size and with killer instincts that make them more dangerous than the usual predators that you find in these sort of movies. And both are set in the picturesque but very ominous Australian outback. And as a creature feature, Boar does deliver. Uh, It uses practical effects, which I thought were great, and CGI, which is sporadically effective, save the final few minutes when it looks almost like you're watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon, I thought, Um, to, you know, sort of bring this uh, creature to life. Uh, And the scenes where the boar attacks are effective and bloody. And uh, there was even a few genuine jump scares that were thrown in. Uh, Where the movie left me scratching my head was in its characters and their dialogue. Um, I mean, these are some very strange people and often talking in a manner that had me wondering if every other line was supposed to be, you know, comedic, but, you know, no over the top characters are, are not, you know, they're no stranger to Australian movies, but even with the bar set at that level by the predecessors, by the movies that came before it, Boar gives us some very bizarre characterizations. Um, some people may find this grating. Uh, and I can understand that, but I honestly loved how crazy everybody was. And it actually made the movie more entertaining for me. And there's one scene in particular with Nathan Jones. And all I'm going to say is it will have you seeing vanilla ice's ice, ice baby in a completely different light. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but even with its unusual characters and, uh, some shaky CGI Boar was a blast. It's got a lot of surprises. It has a chair of gore. And uh, it's, I'd say it's a creature feature with bite. I'd give it 7.5 out of 10. And I think it's streaming on Shudder, so I would definitely check it out. And you recommended this one for me, Dave. And I actually started it, and I was hoping mm-hmm. to get it done before we recorded today, but alas. However, I am enjoying it. I'm probably about 40 minutes in, 45 minutes in. Okay. So, yeah, okay. I am enjoying it. Yeah, and and, but, and you see what I'm, I'm saying oh, about the characters. Oh, yeah. And oh, the- yeah. I thought we were specifically referring to the scene in the car with the family. I'm thinking, man, if I talk that way in front of my mom or in front of my... I don't even know whatever point is <laughs> right right oh oh t- trust me the dialogue gets stranger oh, okay as, oh as, wow as, that's saying something okay that, I had even I had forgotten about that uh <laughs> thinking about what came after it oh, to be boy. honest with you oh boy all right well I'm I'm looking forward to finishing that one so all right so that is boar how about braid b-r-a-i-d braid I feel like I have to spell all these titles before we do them. Yeah, I've been wanting to yeah. see this one. I'm really excited to hear about it. Oh, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, okay. Again, I'm going to go to IMDb for the synopsis. Uh, two wanted women decide to rob their wealthy, psychotic friend who lives in a fantasy world they created as children. They're trying to take the money that uh, that this person has uh, because to take the money, they have to take part in the deadly perverse game of make-believe. Um, the synopsis was a little confusing. Um, <laughs> it's, li- anyway, it's, li- it's live, Dave. Just go with it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, this was written and directed by Mitzi Perone, and she's really crafted something quite unusual with this. This was her feature debut. 
and it's as as strangely fascinating as it is disturbing. It's female centric. This is a female centric horror film. The three lead characters, um, and it's got three very strong performances. But it's Madeline Brewer who was so good in last year's Cam. I thought she's the standout. She plays the wealthy but clearly deranged Daphne. Uh, kind of the catalyst of this peculiar fantasy world that our two friends have to endure if they want to get out of this sticky situation. They owe money. And they know that uh, Daphne has money in this house. And in order to get it, they have to come back and jump back into this fantasy world that we get the feeling they escaped, uh, you know, to get away from Daphne and, and to live in the city. But now they've got to get the money. So now they've got to throw themselves back into it. Um, the characters aren't what I would say is sympathetic, uh, at least not consistently sympathetic. And yet I was completely invested in their story. It, it, it's, it, it really does delve deeply into psychological horror, this movie does. And it offers flashbacks that kind of lay the foundation for everything that, that's playing out. Um, there are moments that caught me off guard. Uh, there's there's this uh, a few sequences involving a detective from the girl's past when they were young girls. It's played by Scott Cohen. And for some reason, he's remained a part of their lives or sort of following their lives all these years later and, and kind of checking up on Daphne and, and um, just sort of uh, he's just a, a part of their world for some reason. And that kind of threw me. In the end, Brave was uh, something of an enigma. It, it had a lot of twists and surprises that, I'll be honest here, it kind of left me occasionally perplexed. I'm still not sure I understand everything, but fortunately, the movie was made with enough skill that I'm anxious to sit down and watch it again. And I'm hoping at that point, any questions I have uh, you know, will, will be answered. Um, this is a good one. It's a movie that will make you think and squirm in your seat at the same time. I'd give it an 8.5, and I say see it as soon as you can. It, it really is just a, an unusual movie. Um, just just be ready because it's going to take you on a on a pretty wild journey, and I think you got to really be in tune with it as you're watching, and it's not something that you can sort of play in the background. All right. So that is Braid, and now I will go ahead and do a little mini review of a movie that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time since I've seen it. It's been a, it's been a minute because it was back in June, and that is Child's Play from 2019. Now, my hope is someday in the hopefully not too distant future, we will get to do a Child's Play versus Child's Play episode just because I was obviously not here uh, behind the mic when you guys did your Child's Play franchise review. I, I was not here to be able to defend the honor of Chucky. <laughs> All that being uh, put aside, I'm a big fan of Child's Play, the original especially, but I'm, I'm a fan of the franchise. And I went into this with an open mind. I I will real quick read the uh, IMDb synopsis because even though you've if if you've seen the original but haven't seen this uh it is a little different but i think it's hilarious if you re just read this description which is a mother gives her 13 year old son a toy doll for his birthday unaware of its more sinister nature so right off the bat <laughs> you're thinking what <laughs> well it, within the context of the movie it makes a lot more sense believe me um this movie is very conflicting for me simply because I did not hate it. I did. I actually liked a lot about it. I think the problem comes in and this is a, a, a consistent problem when they do these remakes rather than just, I don't know, crazy thought, come up with something original. You could use Child's Play as your starting point, as your homage. 
call the character a different name, call all the characters different names, and call it something else. Call it a friend of the end. I don't care. But when you call it Child's Play, when you put the character in the same garb as Brad Dorff's Chucky, when all of those things are in place, there's an expectation that we can't help, especially if you're a fan, going in with you just you're going to have that bias that prejudice will be built in because you have your brain is expecting certain things that you're seeing all that being said as this this movie on its own merits is quite good <laughs> it's actually there are a lot of really messed up kills i'd argue it probably of all the child's play movies i mean i'm i'm having to like scramble my brain here trying to think of all the different kills in a child's play movie but it's got some of the more brutal ones and uh, it was directed by lars klevberg who also had polaroid that came out this year as well which i was going to try to see uh before the year's out i don't know have either of you seen polaroid yet no, no, I have not. Okay, so I was going to try to see that because stylistically, I really liked the look and the feel of the movie. Uh, the cast is great. Uh, 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 Aubrey Plaza, in, in my opinion, was hands down the best uh, in in the movie. I mean, she's I mean, she's great anyway. But the uh, the kid who plays Andy, which of course now that I'm trying to uh, read it off uh, IMDb, they're they're all out of order. Gabriel Bateman, he did great. He and I would say that's always been one of the knocks on the original is the child performance this one does not have that problem the, the most all the child performances are good probably the other weakest part of this movie for me is it does it, it oh, i'm trying to say this without being spoilery but it kind of tries to do a little bit of a stranger things goonies monster squad type vibe <laughs> and hmm. it felt uh, it just felt unnecessary and and to me again that was one of the things that was always so strong about the original was the isolation of the kid the fact that no one believes you no one you had you're on your own here and i guess there were elements of this movie that made me feel like that wasn't all that wasn't really the case with andy um in this particular interpretation of it and honestly mark hamill as the voice was great i mean I, he's not brad dorif but it's oh it works like he did a great job it, it's gonna sound uh, like a goofy like i'm trying to be cutesy with this but i'm not i think the real problem that i personally had is and the reason why i still prefer the original although I can see why somebody would like this if they don't like this about the original, is that the original is about a technically a real person with a soul. This is about AI that's basically short-circuited, for lack of a better way of putting it, without giving it mm. any way. And to me, that has the potential to be scary. That's been done in many movies. I mean, you know, not the least of which is 2001 A Space Odyssey, when you get right down to it. The idea of, mm. you know, technology wanting to kill us. I, I like that thematically. But it just it lacked that little certain something for me that would have otherwise made it truly great. And again, had it been called something completely different, but I would have thought, oh, wow, I could totally see how this was an homage to Child's Play. I feel like I would have liked it that much more. So what if it were called Chopping Mall and it was a remake of that film? <laughs> I feel like I probably wouldn't come in with the same level of baggage. I like Chopping Mall, but I saw it much later in life. Uh, and I don't know that I would have that baggage. But I, I think that even if you're a fan of Child's Play, I think if you can, you know, just set the, the baggage aside, you will enjoy the movie. It is a fun, like, again, shockingly brutal at times movie. Uh, and and again, the performances are really, really great. So for me, this was a 6.5 with the following caveat. I'm wanting to watch this again for when we do a versus episode because I actually think I might end up rating it higher. I think with some distance and a second viewing, knowing what I'm going into, I feel like my gut tells me I would rate it higher. But that's where I'm at right now. So I definitely say Reddit. It's definitely worth checking out. 
Cool. Right. You guys both seem totally Jones to see that now. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I'm going to I'm going to check it out before the end of the year. Okay, I mean, it's good. one of the ones that's it's up there on my list. Good. I mean, I I absolutely love Brad Dourif. He to me is one of the best things about horror generally. Mm-hmm. But I not being a huge fan of the original film, I love the idea of Aubrey Plaza and Mark Hamill and kind of this new world, and it's interesting at least to mm-hmm. me. I was I was enjoying the way the Chucky franchise was going there at mm-hmm. the end and i would love to see them continue i know they have plans to do something but um i, I this definitely has my interest and i think i would enjoy this more than the kind of problematic chanting that we get in the other oh, well that's true uh, but i will say that my theory is you i i will put money on the table josh you will like this better than the original yeah i think uh, i think you will awful. i think you will. versus episode here we come if uh, you yes. didn't get enough tiny tears this year <laughs> All right. Well, uh, is, speaking of, well, this actually is, I can't come up with a good segue for the next title. Uh, climax. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I can think. I, like, me too, but I'm trying to keep it clean. So Dave, what do you got? All right. Climax. Uh, again, let's go to trusty old IMDb. Uh, French dancers gather in a remote empty school building to rehearse on a wintry night. The all-night celebration morphs into a hallucinatory nightmare when they learn their sangria is laced with LSD. Okay, Climax is a masterwork. It is a movie that snuck up on me and it grabbed me by the throat. It really did. Uh, there's, There's plenty of long, sustained takes, all perfectly choreographed. I mean, in this movie, director uh, Gaspar Noe, is it Noe or No? I've always said Gaspar No, but I don't know if that's uh, okay. correct. Okay, I'll say Gaspar No takes us, it, it's it's frightening. I mean, the LSD acts like a truth serum for some of his characters uh, and a window into the soul of others. All of their vices and dark thoughts rushing to the surface at once. All these people just alone in this building. Um, there, the early dance sequences, I mean, there is a lot of dancing early on. They're also uh, like expertly handled. Um, and they kind of redefine the boundaries of sensory overload. The, these early dance sequences, they have a real vibrancy to them. It's, it's mesmerizing in a way. Uh, but it really is the horror that follows that makes climax, uh, such an unforgettable motion picture. In my opinion, uh, the, the characters range from slightly erratic to downright despicable. I mean, some of them are just scumbags and we get to know each of them, uh, I guess as well as can be expected. Thanks in, in large part, there's this one skillfully executed long take just a sustained take. It's probably the best I've seen since Ray Liotta and, and Lorraine Bracco walked into the back entrance of that nightclub in Goodfellas, to be honest with you, it's that well handled. Wow. And the way it explores its characters, both before and after the LSD is one of the key reasons the movie is, is so devastating by the end. Um, I've said this before on the show, uh, knows 2002 film irreversible disturbed me deeply. And it's so much so that I refused to ever watch it again. Mm. Now, Climax also features its share of horrific imagery and situations, and I don't think anyone should, you know, approach it lightly because of that. But there's more to this movie than the sum of its shocks. I mean, this is a journey into hell that will shake you to your core, I predict, and it's a movie that you're not going to forget for some time to come. Uh, This is uh, a 9.5 for me, and it is one of the year's must-sees as far as I'm concerned. Dave, Dave. If yeah. hypothetically someone's a complete weenie, uh, 
<laughs> it's going to shake you up. Okay. It did me. Okay. I mean, it really didn't. Uh, it did. And, uh, you know, go into it, I guess, knowing that. And it's, it, it's not going to, you know, do it right away. Like I said, there's sensory overload at the beginning. All of these dance sequences are really kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, the way that they're handled. And then just as things start to devolve, uh, it just gets, okay. it just gets worse and worse. And, um, but I'd recommend everybody check it out. Okay, cool. I, I, I'm going to try this one. I, I watched enter the void was the first Gaspar no film that I walked into because I'd heard the critical acclaim and I left just going, Oh, I want to die. <laughs> his his visual imagery is unparalleled you know i think joe begos probably owes a lot to gaspar no the the visual look that he got in in bliss i have to assume was somewhat inspired by no it's just it has kind of a similar look but no is as you said like a master of working with camera and light in this way and of course joe begos had much smaller budget i'm assuming as well did a great job for what he was doing but it it is that drug infused psychedelia that's not necessarily my bag and i just felt like stabbing my eyes out at the end of enter the void (laughs) i still i ventured and tried to watch love after that because i'd heard great things about that and i was just like Nope, I'm out after like three minutes, <laughs> and um, I'm I'm gonna give this one a, more of a shot because I've seen not only you but a lot of other uh, listeners on the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com talking about how much they loved climax. So I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm hopeful, even knowing this isn't my kind of movie, and I'm gonna go with that in mind and try to cut it a little bit of slack and go and open minded. So mm-hmm. looking forward to checking it out. Excellent. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what, what you have to say. I mean, I don't know if this is going to change your opinion greatly <laughs> about director <laughs> Gasper. No, uh, but uh, I'd, I'd be real curious. I'm real curious. I mean, he's an artist. Hear. There's no, yeah. there's no questioning it. Right. So we'll see. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess we could say that uh, climax might in fact be a culture shock. Wolfman. <laughs> Which, thank you. Which brings (laughs) us to our next movie. So, Culture Shock is actually an entry in Hulu's Into the Dark, which is produced by Blumhouse. Now, for those who don't know, Blumhouse has this really cool series where they've released every month a film based on uh, different holidays, right? And so, there are a lot of films we could have talked about that come out came out over the last year or so that have been really high quality. But for me, Culture Shock was the one that um, kind of went above and beyond. You know, it was the one that really stood out for me. Uh, I wish we'd seen Pilgrim. I've had, I didn't even heard of that in time for our Thanksgiving episode. That would have been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Culture Shock is the 4th of July episode. And from the IMDb synopsis, it is about a young Mexican woman in pursuit of the American dream who crosses illegally into the United States only to find herself in an American nightmare. So this film has kind of like three distinct sections or acts, probably it would be the way to put it. But the first section is this gritty border crossing movie. And it really feels like what you'd expect from like a Sicario type of film. And these people are trying to get across the border into the United States. Then there is a hard edit. And the second section is straight up, Pleasantville, Stepford Wives, Bizarro Americana, and completely arch on the nose, but intentionally so in that, you know, faux leave it to beaver 
way that's just scary. I would say this kind of tries to play in that same world that I think um, Get Out did a little bit when we go out to the countryside and there's that party, but this is even more so. I mean, this really does feel like a page out of Stepford Wives. And then there's a third section, which I'm not going to spoil kind of where it goes because it was totally unexpected to me and I thought it was really well done. And for me, this is, it's over the top. It definitely has a political message, but for me, the way it's presented just as this genre piece is, is really fun. And it's clear they don't have a huge budget. It's clear that, but they are making everything out of it that they can. So I really have to hand it to the director, Gigi Saul Guerrero. She did an incredible job here. I like the main cast, which includes Barbara Crampton as kind of lead Stepford wife in this. So she was a lot of fun to see on screen and Martha Higareda, I believe her name is that's probably definitely mispronounced, but she was really good. Uh, as the lead so yeah just a, a really worthwhile watch oh sean ashmore is in it also um very worthwhile uh, worth your time and I, th- I would say generally if you've got some time to kill over the holidays the hulu series Col- uh into the dark is fun to watch culture shock i think for me i'd give this a seven um but it really was one of my favorite thematic films of the year uh, and i recommend streaming it on hulu Excellent. All right, mm-hmm. and let's follow that one up with Dead Detectives. Okay, Dead Detectives is streaming on Shutter, and Dead Detectives is a film that riffs on a ghost hunter kind of situation. Um, it's a comedy, and it is more a comedy than it is a horror film. But it is, I think, a really fun horror film I, I again like and take a drink every time i say it dave z um but you know this is it's a little arch you know and it's it's very over the top and it's played for big laughs and it's on the nose but if you imagine kind of the horror comedy version of grave encounters that's kind of exactly what this is and i think they pull it off really well it starts out a bit too over the top for my taste um but i i really like where it goes and it follows these guys who you know it's the typical they've got one last chance to save their television series they're going to do one last scare and they go to this mansion in mexico and it turns out no it's actually haunted this time for the first time mm-hmm. they've been faking it all these years but now they have to deal with some real ghosts and i really love some of the ghost busting techniques and character stuff that happens in the kind of third, the first third of the film. No, sorry. The third, third, the third, fourth, (laughs) (laughs) three fourths of the way. We're not, we're not a math podcast, (laughs) Josh, (laughs) about three fourths of the way through the film. I feel like it really hits its stride. And by that time I was loving everything about it. I was struggling at the beginning, but it won me over and it ends a little goofy, but I, but ultimately I, I really enjoy this. movie. I would give this one a seven and I would call it a rental recommendation streaming on shutter. Excellent. All right. Let's see if uh, the next movie we're going to cover would make Dave commit deep murder. <laughs> All right. Deep I'm trying, murder, by I'm the trying way. guys. I'm trying yeah. to find transitions. Only unnecessary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, and, and by the way, um, if you're doing the drinking game, I this is the only time you're going to hear me say the word fun in tonight's uh, podcast. <laughs> 
Anyway, Deep Murder. Okay, IMDb. This raunchy horror comedy delves deep into the story of a deranged killer as he slashes his way across a softcore porno. <laughs> Who will last the longest as the stiffs pile up and the killer plows through his victims? <laughs> Subtle. Now, if, yeah, I was going to say, if, if you picked up on all of the sexual in, innuendo in that synopsis, you're ready to watch Deep Murder. Um <laughs> uh, the setup is pretty clever. The characters in Deep Murder exist in a softcore porn film. And somewhere in the middle, middle sorry, of all the extramarital affairs and sexual innuendo, a main character turns up dead. It's a surprise, of course, to everyone and something that wasn't supposed to happen. It kind of throws a curve that these one-dimensional characters can barely handle. Um, a few of these characters don't even have names. Uh, Jessica Parker Kennedy... Uh, play someone known simply as the babysitter and the fact that there are no children to be found anywhere in the movie makes her presence even more confusing <laughs> uh, in case it isn't obvious this fits neatly into the sort of horror comedy niche and there are some genuine laughs to be found you know for example nobody can leave the house and get away from the killer because of the deadly storm raging outside even though the sun is shining through practically every window in this house <laughs> they talk about how the deadly storm outside you won't last two seconds uh and the dialogue is equally as funny there's uh, i've never had sex uh, is what the son of the house's owner declares he's he's a, like 20 or something he says i've never had sex to which one booksome character replies oh so that's why everyone keeps calling you a virgin <laughs> yeah see that's kind of a level of of i guess humor that it it, it shoots for and it does reach it there are some funny movie uh, wow, funny moments impressive. it can reach those heights huh? <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah um uh there's some familiar faces in the cast you have jerry o'connell who was also in uh, 2019 satanic panic which we reviewed on episode 180 and uh, Christopher McDonald, a character actor, he has over 207 credits to his name. But for me, he will always be Shooter McGavin from Adam Sandler's Happy Gilmore. <laughs> uh, oh, SLC Punk, man. Come on. Yeah. Oh, dad. SLC Punk, too. Yeah. I didn't sell out. Son. I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> um, both of them and the rest of the cast, they do a pretty good job convincing us that we're watching a bunch of morons. Uh, basically, you know, the type of characters in these softcore films who try to sound smart and just end up sounding like morons. Uh, unfortunately, the joke wears thin well before the movie ends and the horror elements aren't strong enough to carry us any further. So even at 95 minutes, deep murder feels like it might be 30 minutes too long. Uh, I'll still give it a six out of 10, but it's a very low priority rental. It's not something I, I think is going to make too many top 10 lists. If any, mm. Not and, to and look by its cover, but the poster looked really bad to me. Oh yeah, the poster is is pretty bad, and the look of the movie it has sort of that that soft video feel that I guess to make it look like um, uh, an older porn film or soft core porn. And it's funny, there's no nudity in this movie, <laughs> none. Uh, lots of innuendo, but no nudity whatsoever. Interesting. <laughs> no one, no one knows to say. That's that's, uh, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun. So, uh, sp speaking of, uh, let's go ahead and move to depraved. <laughs> are we going to get depraved? Yes, we are. Okay. Yes, we are. And depraved is not a softcore horror comedy. Okay. Uh, it's the IMDb, a disillusioned field surgeon suffering from PTSD, 
makes a man out of body parts and brings him to life in a Brooklyn loft. Yes, as I'm sure you can gather from that synopsis, Depraved is a modern telling of the Frankenstein story. Awesome. And it was written and directed by Larry Fessenden. Awesome. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The, well, the movie, it's its interesting because it has something to say about the effects that war has on the human psyche. The, you know, the scientists taking the Dr. Frankenstein role, played by David Call, is appropriately named Henry. Uh, hmm. He's a former field medic whose experiences on the battlefield kind of inspired him to undertake this uh, experiment. Uh, Depraved is also in part a critique of uh, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, Henry's friend who helped him with his experiments, get them started and get him the equipment, is named, interestingly enough, Polidori. And he's pushing to make uh, this uh, experiment uh, public. Uh, the, you know, they, they name the, the uh, I guess, being that they bring to life, they name him Adam. And uh, Polidori wants to make the Adam experiment public. He's got this new drug, which Henry utilized while bringing Adam to life. And um, it seems to be effective, and Polidori is anxious to make a fortune on it. There are some really interesting scenes in this movie, like when Henry first realizes that Adam is alive. I thought that was a really cool scene. And later, Polidori wants to take Adam for a night on the town and he does. Henry's kind of, you know, hey, I don't know if this is a good idea, but Paul Dory does it anyway. They tour an art museum before hitting the nightclubs. Uh, the performances are I'd say exceptional. Uh, Alex Brielle is especially good as Adam, the man that uh, Dr. Henry brings to life. And much like the monster we've come to know in Universal's 30s films, Adam is at pretty much every point in the film uh, its most sympathetic character. Even when he does something terrible, you know, we know he's doing it because he just doesn't understand. Uh, and it's interesting because he also experiences flashes of memories from the previous owner of his brain. And we get to know this person in the opening scene. And it does add some poignancy uh, as the movie progresses, because that does tie back in, um, you know, cause the, the brain is, is what is driving these obvious uh, flashbacks. And it's these recollections that Adam is having at uh, several points throughout the film. And that was a nice little addition I thought, um, even, but though, even with its modern setting and the few thematic elements I already touched on, Depraved, I wouldn't say brings anything new to Shelley's classic tale, but I don't know that Fessenden set out to try to do, uh, a lot, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to alter it a lot in the first place. And as an updated version of, of, uh, Shelley's, you know, 200 year old tale of science playing God, I thought Depraved worked pretty well. I'd give it a 7.5 and I think it's, it's worth a rental. Hmm. Hey Dave, you know, I don't know if you remember this. One of the versus episodes we did many years back before we started universal monsters cast was a Frankenstein versus episode. And there was yes. a Bernard Rose version of Frankenstein. Of course, Bernard Rose, the director of Candyman, right. he did a version of Frankenstein with Xavier Samuel from the loved ones mm -hmm. uh, playing Adam. And then it had Carrie Ann Moss as Elizabeth and Danny Houston as Victor. Um, that was really well done for how low the budget was, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, do you, how would you compare these films? Which one would you prefer if you remember? <sighs> You know what? I, I do remember that Frankenstein. I don't remember a lot about it. Uh, this one's obviously a lot fresher in my mind. Um, 
I'd really have to I'd really have to watch them back to back. But I will say that if you did like that Frankenstein, I think you're going to enjoy this one as well. Um, I think. Okay. I think this one, I don't know. If, I think this one might be a little even more faithful to Shelley's novel. You gave um, that one a 7.5 at the time. Yeah. And I, I do remember enjoying it. I do remember. So these are, they gave them both the same rating. I really do have to watch them back to back. I, 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 that one's kind of faded from memory to be honest with you. So I'd really have to watch them back to back. Um, but <laughs> on its own, on a, as, as an updated Frankenstein uh, depraved, I thought, I thought delivered. And Josh, you had mentioned that the deep murder poster did nothing for you, but I will say the depraved poster I really like. It's simple. It's very, you know, it's simple. It's, yeah. just, it's that face, but it's the way it's the red and the the typography of the, I don't know. There's something about it I really yeah. like a lot. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah, very cool. All right. So now our next movie we will be covering, and we're going to do this as a feature review, and it is Doctor Sleep from 2019. Just talk to the kid. You're magic, like me. I need you to listen to me. The world's a hungry place, a dark place. Hi there. I only met two or three people like us. They died. When I was a kid, I bumped into these things. I don't know about magic. I always called it The Shining. Sleep is a movie directed by Mike Flanagan with screenplay by Mike Flanagan, who is adapting the novel by Stephen King. It stars Ewan McGregor and McGregor. Yes, I said that right. <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson and uh, Kylie Curran. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And it is uh, friggin fantastic. I, now, I'm curious. There was no credit given to Stanley Kubrick for this. Yes, because first off, you know, it is based on a King work. I mean, to be fair, the, the novel is King I and mean, it's King's idea. However, to your point, I know, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> it is obviously a sequel to a very, I don't know, a movie that I'm sure a few people are listening at least have heard of. Um, now, I am a, ba- a fan of the original The Shining, as I think most horror fans are. It is not my top horror movie of all time or anything like that, but I really appreciate it for what it is. And every time I see it on TV, I'll stop and watch and I'm always just blown away by, you know, we've already talked about some artistry in other movies, but I mean, it goes without saying, right? That that movie is an unparalleled, just about classic. For Mike Flanagan to be able to do a sequel to not only King's book, 
right? right. Or, or an adaptation of King's book, which is a sequel to King's original book, which was then adapted by someone that really, let's just put it nicely and say, ticked King off <laughs> with a lot of the changes he made and <laughs> right. making it to where King is notorious for openly and publicly publicly disparaging that movie, despite most people's opinion that's a classic. He had to walk the line of keeping King happy because he's still here. And while Kubrick isn't here anymore, his estate is and millions of fans of that original movie are. So to say that Flanagan has like my undying respect for just the gumption to be willing to even take that on. I would have just crawled into a ball <laughs> and just yeah. fetal position. Be like, I can't do it. Never mind. <laughs> but he did it. And I can say unequivocally, this is one of my favorites of the year. This movie is fan freaking tastic. And I feel like even if you are a diehard fan of The Shining and have no interest in the books, you'll still very much appreciate this movie. He walks the line so well with staying faithful to King's new story, the story of, you know, and just real quick, the IMDb, let me just do that real quick, the synopsis. Uh, years following the events of The Shining, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. And that is the basic story. And, you know, when we meet Dan Torrance now, without giving too much away, we get quite, uh, we get some stuff early on of Danny shortly after the events. Okay. And one of the things that I think Flanagan does exceptionally well in this, and if you've seen um, Gerald's game and specifically the haunting of Hill house uh, movie that mini series that he did on Netflix, uh, I always want to say the house on a hill. And I always have to like think for a second, I'm, am I saying the right one? Yes. I'm the haunting of Hill house. That's the right one. And he, he did really well. If you remember in that one, doing Henry, Henry Thomas, right, as the actor playing the father when they were younger. And then I believe, was it Matthew Modine who played the elder version? So two totally different actors. In this movie, he has other actors playing, I won't give it away, but some key characters in some stuff that we see that could have been very distracting. Because again, back, please refer back to my child's play comments when you go in with a certain level of bias and baggage you know you, you expect to see certain things and it it worked it worked so well the acting in this you mcgregor you know I, I realize some people may not be a fan on a personal level uh, i'm a huge fan of his acting uh his profession he is fantastic he is without a doubt stupendous but as good as he is rebecca ferguson for me, was like a revelation as Rose the Hat. She's the leader of the true knot. And they are, she's, because obviously Rebecca Ferguson, it goes without saying, is this beautiful woman, a very great actress who is creepy. But she also, at the same time, does vulnerable really well. I mean, it, it, it rides that line of, you know, the menacing villain who has this sense of humanity, even though they lost their humanity so long ago and they're and they're susceptible to a lot of the same fears and foibles we all are if you're you know trying to survive. Um, Cliff Curtis is in this. I'm a huge fan of his. I love that guy. His character is one of my favorites. He plays Billy Freeman, who is a pivotal element to uh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, to Dan. I did not know that. Yeah, he is fan, and he's great hmm. in it. Um, I'll say there's some twists and turns that happen to a couple of key characters that 
I get why, but I was, I was like, because I was even in the short time you're with them, you're so invested <laughs> that you really care. And it's, it, it bothers you on that level, uh, when certain things happen. So, um, but the whole cast, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I can't, I mean, I could go through everybody, but Kylie, uh, Curran or, or Curran, the one who plays Abra, she is the little girl who has the shining and she, if Dan Torrance was powerful, she is like even more so. And wow, they make it sound like she he's protecting her. But I got to be honest with you, I, as you watch the movie, I, I don't know if that's the accurate way of portraying it. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, uh, because she is and she's amazing because she just has as an actor, she has this way about her, this maturity, and it doesn't feel like like that sort of precocious, you know, child actor thing where it's, oh, she's just really good. At, no, she's, there's something about her. Like there's a quality to her that uh, she's just fantastic. Uh, she just does great. And the movie across the board, it feels rich, like a novel. It's long. It's probably, probably my big knock on it personally. It was It's two and a half hours long and it does at a couple points drag a little bit. But here's the problem. I don't know what I would tell you to cut. So that's, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, in, in, in Flanagan, the reason why for me, he's one of my favorite filmmakers working today is specifically in, in the genre is because he knows how to build to something. He knows how to let characters breathe and develop and you get to, to see them and enter their world and in such a way that you care about them, good or bad, it doesn't matter. You care about them. And this all, the, the whole movie goes along. I will tell you for those that, again, are hell bent on it being as much like The Shining as possible, you don't get a lot because the trailer's a little deceptive. It makes it seem like maybe there's a lot of The Shining <laughs> elements, the overlook and whatnot. They are there, but it's, it's later. In the movie, I, you know, it's it's not the bulk of this movie is the story of adult Dan Torrance coming to terms with what he's been dealing with. And it really very much so like what I think King wanted his original The Shining to be about, which was really about alcoholism and the trauma mm -hmm. of abuse and all of that kind of thing. This movie really delves into the effects generation generationally on the character, which I know mm. was one of the things that King really was happy about. And, and I remember hearing an interview with Flanagan where he apparently told King, look, I've got to acknowledge the movie. You know, and, and King got that. He knew that. But he said, however, I can give you some of the things that you didn't get from that original movie. And I think he succeeds. I, I mean, it. this movie is hands down, like I said, one of my favorites of the year. Um, I've only seen it the one time. I cannot wait to see it again. Right now, I'm going to rate it a nine. But I have a feeling, again, this is like, much like the Child's Play one. I think if I see this again, it's going to be a 9.5 for me. I really, wow. really love this movie. And I am so disappointed that I didn't see this when it was playing in town. I seriously, I was planning on seeing it last weekend. I went to the theater and they're like, it's not here anymore. It's, frozen. it's all frozen. It's, it's ridiculous. Can I be yeah. honest with you? My, my biggest gripe for this whole thing, and I know that horror fans knew this movie was there. You know, I'm sure plenty went out, but I'm sure a lot were like you, Josh, you know, oh, I, I mean, it's only been a few weeks. I should be able to go see this movie and it's gone. Yeah. This movie. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Or Dave. It's like this movie. Yeah. 
did horribly financially. I mean, this movie is a certifiable bomb financially, but it's such a great movie. It's like Crawl. You know, the marketing on those two movies was garbage, in my opinion. Absolute garbage. They did not, I mean, you released, I'm not going to go on a tirade, I promise, I got to keep this short, (laughs) but but they released this movie (laughs) after Halloween. If this movie gets a mid-October release, it's released by Warner Brothers, who also obviously released It, so why not release this, you know, a month after you've released It, and I, I I don't know, acknowledge the fact that it's a sequel to The Shining in your marketing yeah. materials more, maybe, yeah. other than some hints at it. Don't be so vague and obtuse and try to be cutesy with it. Like, that's your selling point. That's what people would, there are plenty of people, I guarantee you, who had no idea about Dr. Sleep, the book, who saw The Shining, you know, years ago, loved it, saw this thing called Dr. Sleep. They're like, what's that? And they gave up. They didn't bother. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. It really I, is. I, I don't know if it's okay with you. There's this little quote here. It's not a little quote. It's kind of a long quote, but from Flanagan and King from Entertainment Weekly, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Go for for it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, So, you know, as King has talked about many times, he hated, you know, the film, you know, uh, Kubrick's film. And one of his big things that he points to is that at the end of the shining you know uh, jack torrance freezes to death as opposed to in the book he burns and you know he's like there's a difference in the in the warmth you know mm-hmm. and the, the coldness of kubrick's film versus the warmth of his book and for him that was just symbolically a key to kind of show how kubrick had done that throughout the film so when flanagan is going to do dr sleep yeah he has to convince him Hey, I want to go back to the overlook, even though in your book it blows up at the end. Um, you know, and he mm-hmm. said, Look, I'm a fanatic. I have been since a kid, since I was a kid. You're my hero. But when I read Dr. Sleep, all the images in my head were Kubrick's images, mm-hmm. which is a pretty bold thing to say to Stephen King. <laughs> he said, The Shining is so ubiquitous and has burned itself into the collective imagination of people who love cinema in a way that so mo- so few movies have. There's no other language to tell that story in. If you say Overlook Hotel, I see something. It lives right up in my brain because of Stanley Kubrick. You can't pretend it isn't the case. He was reluctant. And then I said, well, let me tell you how I would approach it. I pitched the one scene inside the overlook. I said, the rest of the story, I'm going to try and stay as faithful as I possibly can. But the final fight will take place instead of on the grounds that used to be the overlook. It's actually inside the space. I pitched him one scene and he thought about it and he came back and said, okay, go ahead. Hmm. King himself says he was won over by both Flanagan's track record and his screenplay for the movie. Says King, I read the script to this one very, very carefully because obviously I wanted to do a good job with the sequel because people knew the book, The Shining, and I thought I don't want to screw this up. Mike Flanagan, I've enjoyed all his movies and I've worked with him before on Gerald's Game. So I read the script very, very carefully and I said to myself, everything that I ever disliked about the Kubrick version of The Shining is redeemed for me here. Hmm. And um, Flanagan goes on to talk about how uh, Kubrick, King was very hands off during the production, but then he showed it to him again after the film was completed. And he said, um, I finished the movie. I brought the film to Bangor, Maine, where King lives, and I showed him Dr. Sleep. I sat with him in an empty theater and watched the movie with him. I spent the whole movie trying not to throw up and staring at my own feet and kind of (laughs) overanalyzing every single noise he made next to me. (laughs) The film ended and the credits came up and he leaned over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you did a beautiful job. And then I just died. 
the rest of the day, we talked a lot about Kubrick. We talked about his other adaptations. When he talked about shows on Netflix that we liked, we just talked. He was like, having watched this film, it actually warms my feelings up toward the Kubrick film. Hmm. That's what kind of freaked me out. Wow. And I could, and I could see that. Like, I think too, if somebody for whatever reason felt that way about the shining, obviously, you know, King has his reasons (laughs) considering he, you know, created the story, but this movie is that good counterpoint that that other film has that coldness in this it's that the even the emotion everything is so cold in that movie this movie does have and there's cold elements to it as well but there's a warmth to it and to the characters that that movie lacks uh and like i said there are some moments some key moments that reflect back to certain things that you know well that I found very satisfying. I mean, it would have been, it would have been so easy to screw it up. <laughs> I mean, it would have been far, far easier, I think, oh my to screw this oh, up. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that it doesn't just do it right and well, but it, in my opinion, exceeds that. It, I don't think it will go down as a masterwork like The Shining. I just don't. I think it's 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 in a different league. But I do think that in the the pantheon of King adaptation movies, this will always be in the conversation for the top tier. This will always be once people I've never read Dr. Sleep. I actually want to read it now, having you know seen the movie. But I, I just I have a feeling, you know, when we in the same breath when we talk about The Shining or Pet Cemetery, I think that this movie will always be top tier king adaptation when it comes to the quality so like i said for me it's a nine to a 9.5 probably when i see it again but that is hands it it's without a doubt i, I don't think i'm giving anything away to say this will be in my top 10 i'm not gonna say where but it'll be wow. there you know i it, the movie is still playing at one theater 45 minutes away it's worth it it's worth very it. very strongly considering going up because here's the thing dude like and I know that it's just borrowing a lot of those shots from the shining but knowing the visual splendor that is the shining the idea that I'm going to miss seeing this on the big yes. screen is yep. nauseating to when me. When that music kicks in, by the way, and he does use it, it just, uh, and like I said, the I, I can't, I will be just flabbergasted, Josh, if you don't love this movie. <laughs> I'm not saying you'll love it as much as I did. I'm just saying, I think, I, I just have a feeling you two will absolutely love it. So um, I would say, and I don't say this lightly because I don't want you to have to go drive 45 minutes, you know, because where you live uh, at, at the moment, it's probably, I don't know if it's still snowing, but it might be. So <laughs> I, I, you know, you're dangerous on, on those roads, but I would say I would brave treacherous driving conditions to see this on the big screen. And I swear to God, if you go to see this and something happens to you and I have to live with that, I will be very angry. But that aside, uh, I would say you I'll should take a snow cat. Okay. There you go. Jen. Take a snow cat. That would be very apropos. Apropos. All right. So that was our feature review for Dr. Sleep. And now let's go ahead and jump right back into our list of 2019 movies with Eli. All right. Eli, uh, going to trusty IMDb. A boy receiving treatment for his autoimmune disorder discovers that the house he's living in isn't as safe as he thought. Uh, Now, the house mentioned in this synopsis is actually a clinic that his parents... Uh, played by Kelly Riley and Max Martini, Hope will cure uh, the young boy's crippling disability. His name, of course, is Eli, played by Charlie Shotwell. And it turns out he is allergic to the world and must live uh, lives in a bubble and travels in a hazmat suit uh, just to keep him alive. 
this clinic is run by Dr. Horn, played by Lily Taylor. And the more time that Eli spends in the clinic, the more he realizes all is not as it seems. Uh, now, the first two thirds of Eli come across as a standard sort of ghost story with, uh, with the young boy uh, experiencing his fair share of slamming doors and, and uh, uh, you know, supernatural encounters uh, designed to, you know, make anybody watching it jump out of their seat. Uh, we also realize, as of course does uh, young Eli, that there's a mystery at play here, that Dr. Horn is probably not what she appears to be and may not be as helpful as his parents, uh, or at least his mother, hopes she'll be. Uh, there are a few effective scares, and the setting is eerie enough to sort of keep the tension high whenever the sun goes down. But these early scenes, there's nothing that any horror fan hasn't seen before. But then, director Siren Foy and the writers provide a twist ending that I didn't see coming. A revelation that takes the movie in a completely new and unexpected direction. It's so drastic it, that it may turn a few viewers off. I can understand that. But I enjoyed the hell out of it. I really did. So my advice, if you decide to check out this movie, I'm going to give it a seven. And I'm calling it a rental, by the way, is that you hang in there. It's going to seem like the same old, same old for a long stretch for a lot of its runtime. But by the time the credits roll, you realize, as I did, that Eli ultimately told a much darker story than you were expecting. All right. Actually, I, it's, it, I put that on my Netflix queue when it dropped, and I had intended to see it. Uh, in fact, the movie that I'll be talking about here in a little bit, that's the other Netflix uh, horror movie uh, coming up soon is what I ended up watching instead and then I never got back to it. So based on your review though, I will be sure to check that one out. Honestly, that was another judge of the book by its cover where I saw the poster and it just didn't do it for me. So I kind of passed on it, but mm. all right. Yeah. Sounds interesting. All right. So next up is escape room and escape room is a movie that I went in with a certain amount of trepidation <laughs> The IMDb synopsis is six strangers find themselves in a maze of deadly mystery rooms and must use their wits to survive. I'm going to be straight up with you guys. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, really? You, yes, I hmm. did. It is okay. a PG-13 horror flick. It is mainstream I, I, studio yeah, horror it, movie. Yeah, yeah. but it, it there's something to to borrow a uh, Davism. It's fun. <laughs> You know, it's a yeah. it's it's a fun movie. I just enjoyed it. It's directed by Adam Robitel. I don't, to my knowledge, hasn't been done too much else. Uh, I believe he's also doing Escape Room Two. It has in it uh, Deborah Ann Wall, who I am a big fan of because she was in The Punisher and uh, Daredevil on Netflix, and I think she's fantastic. I love her, and so. She was the main person I recognized. Taylor Russell plays Zoe Davis. She's the main character. And when the shenanigans began with the idea of the escape room, and of course, I assume everyone listening to this knows what an escape room is, but just in case, on the off chance you don't, it's essentially you pay money to be locked into a room and uh, you got a few hours to figure out you know, clues to get yourself out. Except in the case of this situation, if you don't get out of a room in time, you die horribly and wow. while it isn't ever as graphic as it could have otherwise been had they gone the r route it had that flavor of saw minus 
the torture gore stuff like that's so, like, you right. know in the sense that you have these sort of elaborate traps now and in that sense it also had a certain final destination vibe as well like to me that even though obviously that's more supernaturally bent this still had that air of the mechanisms that are that are going and depending on where you go you know it that that what is it, the um oh what through goldberg that the sort of contraption that it all goes and ultimately leads to your death and it's very suspenseful i mean i think it's probably the best word to use there's moments that are very suspenseful uh, in it and like i said for me it was just a lot of fun it was not a movie that I went into thinking, oh, yeah, this is one of the ones I got to see. But I don't know why. My wife and I were just like one night we didn't have anything else to watch. And we're like, why not? We'll give it a shot. And afterwards, like, I don't feel like I wasted my time. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't mean, it probably sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I mean, it just, it was one of those movies where am I going to ever watch it again? Probably not, but I enjoyed it. It was a fun time. So for me, I'm going to give it a seven. And for those listening, go, oh, you gave Child's Play a 6.5. You're giving this a seven. Yes, because I had baggage with Child's Play. We established that. But this, I didn't have baggage. I couldn't have cared less. And it turned out it really exceeded my expectations. And uh, <laughs> that's, by the way, this is my logic of how I rate movies, people. So right. be prepared. I, the, the, I gave a 6.5 to a movie I cared about. Yeah. A 7 to yeah, one I didn't you care didn't about. You didn't give a crap. And it's like, hey, <laughs> it, it didn't break my heart. Therefore, you get a 7. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. You, you two rated on, you know, like uh, important things like uh, craft and, uh, you know, the, 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 the merits of being art. I'm going to rate it on the fact that it really yeah. didn't tick me off. So as long as the audience knows why you're rating it, it doesn't matter. I will say, you know, I just went to my first escape room and it's something that has always appealed to me because I love mysteries, as you know. And so I thought, oh yeah, I would love to go to escape room. I just have never done it. But then my son got one for his birthday. Like, a, you know, he got invited to one for his birthday. So our whole family went and, and I literally thought we were walking into a death trap. It was like <laughs> you know, we had just reviewed Haunt on the podcast. And, you know, remember right. we had all that discussion of like, if there's only one other car in the neighborhood and zero Yelp reviews, like walk away. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. It was night. It was dark. It was in like a strip mall. And it was the it was like a little office park, actually, like an office park strip mall. And it was the only building with lights on. There were no other cars in the parking lot. There were three reviews on Yelp or whatever. And I was just wow. like, we're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and we go in there and there was just a teenage girl. And then we walked in. I was like, hi. She's like, I'll be right with you. She walked into a dark room and then slammed a door shut, like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> like a sliding door. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. And I was just like, what? Like, was that part of the was that part of the shtick? Was that part of the thing? No. No. Oh my she God. Just, they were working, I guess, on some construction project and she wanted to close the door. We later found out. But anyway, it was it was scary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but they, the and it wasn't even horror themed. It was old west themed. But it <laughs> wow. but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We gotta like put a poll together and reach out through the, you know, that's the other thing is they put us in there and we're in the jail a jail cell. Oh wow. <laughs> like, this is gonna suck. <laughs> but you know, we like had to put the poll together and reach out and get the keys off the sheriff's desk and all this stuff. It was a lot oh, of fun. That's cool. Yeah, I think I think you'll enjoy this because it has that element of obviously it's solving the puzzle to get out of the room kind of thing. Yeah, I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it was a lot of nice. fun. All right, so then that brings us to a movie that'll be a lot of fun for me to try to pronounce, which is Hagazusa. Maybe? Hagazusa. Yes, that's uh, well, that's as good as I'm going to get with okay, it. So okay. that, that, 
works for me. Um, this time I'm going to go for the Rotten Tomatoes synopsis, uh, not because it's so much better. It's IMDb's absolutely sucked. <laughs> <laughs> In a remote Alpine village in the 15th century, the orphan Albrun grows up to become a marked woman. The scapegoat of ancient superstitions and monstrous misogyny, this self-styled witch begins to assert her otherworldly birthright. Uh, and Souza is first and foremost a gorgeous motion picture. I mean, the opening scene is set uh, during the wintertime and is shot in such a way that makes the snowy landscape both foreboding and picturesque. And Josh, I was thinking of you during this opening scene. I mean, it, it really is that. Oh, you're me. Yeah, it, it's it. It really is just just gorgeous, and it really makes great use of it of 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 the snow and and the cold. <sighs> this is what um, I really wanted to get to. And the poster, speaking of the you know the look of it, that was it's one of the most beautiful posters of the year. I think. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it follows the same sort of artistic path throughout. Uh, and the links that it's, it's written and directed by Lucas Fiegelfeld, I guess is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and he goes to great lengths to convince us that this movie is set hundred years in the past. And, and, and even that part of it, it really is impressive. And there is a strong feeling of dread that sort of looms over every scene in the movie. It, it's almost tangible in a way. Now, as I sat watching Hagazusa, uh, which is also titled, or maybe it translates to A Heathen's Curse, uh, I, I was drawing conclusions, you know, I was kind of compare, comparing it to The Witch. Uh, you know, like Robert Eggers' uh, 2015 movie, Hagazusa, it, it's wonderfully crafted, it's beautifully shot, it, it's, it establishes its gloomy tone early on, and then it maintains it throughout. Now, if you're one of those people, though, who felt that the witch didn't deliver the horror goods, that not much happened in it to scare you, then you should probably not see Hagazusa. Even those who loved the witch, like me, for instance, might find Hagazusa a bit too slow for their liking. Its horror elements are few and far between. And I'm sure there are some people who say they're non-existent. Um, it, it is a work of art. It really is. Uh, it, it might not have enough meat on the bones as a horror movie for some people. I'm still going to give it, though. I'm still going to give it a seven, and I'm going to call it a rental because uh, I think that it's there's, there's a lot in here to really appreciate. There really is. But like I said, if you're one of those people who, who didn't think the witch, weren't blown away by the witch, and I was. I mean, I think it made my top ten of the year uh, that year. Uh, it's... Hagazusa, you're definitely going to want to think twice about it. Mm. So many slow burns this year. Like I, I, I don't mind a slow burn, but it is a bit taxing when like everything's a slow burn. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. when every scene just kind of slowly builds, and then you're like, okay, now's a good time for something to happen. Uh, well, I was going to say when every film I watch is a slow burn because that's what uh -oh. it felt like this year. I felt like ninety percent of the movies I watched were just super slow burns. But um, okay, I, I, yeah, you won me over already, so I'm going to be adding this one to my. I mean, it's already in my queue. It was one I was okay. definitely trying to get to, but I just didn't make it. Hey, Josh, be interested to hear what you say, Josh. The movie that that you should have seen that wouldn't have been a slow burn. Crawl. Oh yeah. yes. 
I bought Crawl and okay. I would have reviewed it for this episode, but I just figured it's already been reviewed on the show. I'm going to try to, I'm trying to see as many movies as I can sure. for the podcast. I thought I'd just watch stuff that we hadn't reviewed yet, but I, I purchased Crawl. I purchased Midsommar. I've got all them right. all sitting here. Excellent. So, all right. Yeah. Excellent. That's awesome. All right. So let's move on then to the Headhunter. that better have some um, action in it or something. Come on. Okay. Uh, IMDB again, a medieval warrior's gruesome collection of heads is missing only one, the monster that killed his daughter years ago. Uh, that sums it up pretty nicely, actually. This is uh, director Jordan, Jordan, director Jordan Downey's The Headhunter is for a lot of its runtime a one man show. It's Christopher Reig. He plays a warrior intent on finding and killing the monster that took the life of his beloved daughter, played in flashbacks by Cora Kaufman. And because it focuses so much of its attention on a single character, it does rely more on visuals to tell its story. And the visuals are the film's strength, I think. Uh, it was shot partially in Norway and Portugal and makes great use of its outdoor locations. And both uh, the director and his cinematographer, who's uh, Kevin Stewart, just to throw his name out there, they know just where to put the camera. And like Hagazusa, it's a gorgeous movie to look at. And the work of the effects team, which created some classic sort of monster heads that our hero collects throughout the film, is also strong. Now, I would have liked it if the headhunter had a little more action to it, to your point, Joel. Mm -hmm. um, until the final showdown, the lead collects pretty much every screen, every screen, every head while off screen. Um, you know, we see him leave for battle and then we cut to the aftermath, uh, him treating his wounds, driving the severed head onto a spike from, uh, you know, that's hanging on the wall. We see this and not a lot else. Um, the last confrontation does deliver and almost makes up for the lack of excitement that preceded it. Almost. Uh, still, it's it's a quick movie. It's 72 minutes, including credits. It does have some cool practical effects and a strong performance by, uh, you know, Christopher Reig. It's an entertaining diversion and it's worth a watch. I'm going to say seven and I'll say rent it. But you hear that, you hear the headhunter, and yes, you. I went in expecting more action, and um, it took a while for it to get there. And uh, and I was looking, I was saying, wait a second, we're like 40 minutes in here, and this is a 72-minute film. Uh, but it does eventually get there, and it all, like I said, it almost makes up for the fact that there's not a lot that came before it. All right. Then uh, let's see if the same applies to and this is going to be fun. Heilstatten. Heilstatten. <laughs> All right. Heilstatten, a remote and gloomy former Nazi hospital near Berlin, is invaded by a group of YouTubers who illegally access the <laughs> ominous surgery block. Is that Josh yeah. groaning? Did he groan? Yes. <laughs> yes. For a 24 hour challenge they hope will go viral. They learn too soon that they are not alone and not welcome. Now, from its plot right down to the artwork on the DVD, Heelstockton reminded me of last year's Gonjiam Haunted Asylum, uh, which was a Korean found footage style horror film. Um, also had online personalities trying to get rich by spending a night in a supposedly haunted building. 
Uh, like Gonjum, this uh, setting in Hielstaten is pretty creepy and based on an actual location. Uh, Hitler himself recuperated at the real Heilstaten after being wounded in World War One. But while Gonjum definitely had some scary scenes in it, I mean that movie was was creepy. I mean you remember Josh? Oh, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. that was a, that was a frightening film. Yeah. Hillstaten feels like a collection of missed opportunities to me. There are a few jump scares, a handful of creepy sequences. Uh, there's one where the action shifts to a basement and one character is trapped in this cramp, uh, I guess, sort of hole. But most of the ghostly scenes fall flat and the characters aren't nearly as interesting or even likable as they were in Gone Jump. So I ultimately didn't even care what happened to them. Uh, there's a final reveal tries to throw a twist into the mix. It only managed to make take me further out of the movie. I'm going to give this one a 4.5 out of 10. It, it's not really worth uh, the time or effort. There's a lot better you know, films out there for the taking right now. Uh, in fact, instead of Heelstaden, you'd be better off watching Gonjium again, or at least at <laughs> all, if you haven't seen it already. Right. My favorite part of that review, mm. Josh has grown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was really into the idea of, you know, the Hitler building oh, and sure. all so yeah. YouTubers. Yeah, I was, exactly. like, oh, I was yeah. funny. You you yeah. articulated the thing I felt because exactly <laughs> he's the way he set it up, I'm thinking, oh man, what is it gonna be? Is it like some Nazi experiment gone where uh, YouTubers? Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, a movie that uh, I, I'm interested to know if either of you saw, it's uh, in the tall grass. Not yet. No, not okay. yet. On the list. Okay. I have not heard great things about it, I'll be honest. Okay, wow. So I guess I'll be the outlier. I really liked this movie. Great. I mean, that's good uh, news. Yeah, I yeah re- really. I, it, it's got issues. Um, so the basic premise is it's based on a story that was written, I believe, by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. And it's after hearing a young boy's cry for help. A sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may be no way out and that something evil lurks within. It was directed by Vincenzo Natali, who did Splice and another movie that I absolutely loved when it came out. I haven't seen it in years. I'm sure I'd still love it. And in an odd way, has that escape room sort of vibe because it's all about solving a puzzle to get out of a room. And that is Cube. Did either of you ever see Cube? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I really like Cube. Did you, Absolutely. Josh, have you seen Cube? I prefer Splice, personally, okay. actually. Okay. I'm not, I've never seen Splice. I've heard good things. I've never seen it. I need to see it. Splice is good. And Splice yeah. is, uh, is is good as well. I like both of those films. Yeah. I, just, I just remember Cube had its issues. And then looking back on I remember like some of the acting and whatnot. But they're just conceptually. And I remember at the time we're hearing that, it, you know, spent like 50,000 bucks to make the movie. And the point is, I was always a fan. And this movie is equally as dense <laughs> at times in the sense that you don't necessarily, wow, really? you know, in the sense that you don't know what the heck is going on uh, for certain pieces of it, but it never felt frustrating to me as it could. Cause it always felt very creepy and very King esque and always, you know, keeping that in mind that this feels like an adaptation of like sort of a classic Stephen King story. It has that without giving anything away, too much it has that children of the corn aesthetic because of obviously what you know they're not in corn but they're in something that looks somewhat like being in a cornfield and it's got this weird 
timeline thing going on that that's hard to describe without giving away key elements of this movie. And, you know, they they do the thing where you have your main character who is played. And I'm going to probably mispronounce her name. I, I looked it up even. It's it's Lysla, I believe, de Oliveira. I, I probably just destroyed that. I apologize. Uh, and she plays mm-hmm. Becky and she is the main character and she's pregnant. And she, her brother, played by Avery Witted, uh, they, they are brother and sister, and they're driving cross country. And again, as it said, the synopsis, they hear this cry for help and they go in because, you know, it's a kid. And so in there, they meet Patrick Wilson, uh, plays a character, and a couple other people. And let's just say things are not as they seem. And it gets weird and it gets a couple times relatively brutal. And it's just a weird little horror movie Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. Like it just has that. Like it's a. It's like a slightly imperfect Twilight Zone episode where you could okay. see you could see the potential. So for me, I'm gonna give it a six point five. I re- I did enjoy it quite a bit. I could see why somebody might not like it because it, it is a movie where by the end of it, I don't know if you feel super satisfied by the way things are explained or how it turns out but i still found it interesting it's a movie that i thought about afterwards like i'm i was trying to figure out the mechanics of like okay well if that happened and then that happened because it's one of those where you're trying to see but if they if they did that then would this thing have happened so it kind of creates this puzzle in your head that i'm sure the reason why i couldn't figure it out is because it's probably not figure outable it's <laughs> my guess yeah. but i don't know i just enjoyed well, it i did enjoy it I- you know, I say a lot of people didn't like it. I think that was my impression just of what I saw going around Twitter. But as I look on Letterboxd from some of our listeners who uh, follow me over there, I am seeing quite a lot of people like it. Okay. There are some, definitely some one and two star reviews, but for the most part, people are coming in at like a six out of 10. Yeah. Um, it says grave. Robert looks like he liked it. Dark Mark liked it. Sarah fierce fruit liked it. Jacob Parker, Keith Christian, Jason Strong, Necromancer Nate, they all liked it. Um, we got eight out of ten from Red Cap Jack and Jason Strong and Keith Christian. Mentioned both of those guys already. Um, there was kind of a funny review from Ian West. Uh, he says, Lawn of the Dead is his one line <laughs> review of the film. <laughs> that is genius. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so. it, it is a movie I enjoyed quite a bit. After seeing it, I would have actually rated it higher. I think I, I right afterwards, I for whatever reason, just you know, movies hit you the right way. I would have been mm-hmm. like in that seven point five range, but I think after some time and everything, it just didn't really stick with me that much. And like I said, I I feel like it's one of those if I go back and rewatch, I'll see a lot of holes. <laughs> but I did enjoy it during the time that I watched it. So for me, it's a six point five. Cool. All right, let's find out about Ooh. knife plus heart. Okay, this is one I'd heard a lot about, and so I was super excited to see it, although I knew literally nothing about it. So imagine my excitement when very early on in the film, it's clear that this is a Giallo adoration film. So I was like, oh, yes, I'm excited about this. I will say um, it is also set in the world of pornography. I'm going to read this. IMDb synopsis here. It says Paris summer of 1979 Anna is a producer of cheap gay porn. When Lois, her editor and companion leaves her, she attempts to get her back by making a more ambitious film with the flamboyant Archibald. 
Um, what well, this film doesn't say, that's a terrible synopsis as usual, I guess, by MDB. <laughs> what it doesn't say is that someone, a masked killer, so rather than the black gloves in this film, we get someone in a black bondage mask, um, is killing the crew and cast of these pornographic films one by one so they continue shooting the movies they continue hiring new actors and someone keeps killing them off and it stars vanessa paradise who is was married to johnny depp or at least um had two children with johnny depp and um she's kind of a french model and actress she's done a ton of work in france not as much in the united states she's really good in this i really kind of I'm not a fan of kind of the sleazy porn world that the film takes place in. Although I do think it's interesting. It was almost a deal breaker for me a few times. It's just like, I'm just not, I don't want to spend my time in this world that much, but um, it, it just won me over by its approach to kind of the giallo aspect of it. It is borderline like some more recent films like the editor and barbarian sound studio where they're more kind of homages to, especially the editor is almost like a comedic take on a giallo. That's not what this is, but because there is the film within a film aspect of knife plus heart, it has that same feel of the editor or barbarian sound studio where it is simultaneously a giallo and commenting on the giallo form um there are references like very clear references to opera to body double from de palma there's a lot of de palma like kind of sleazy vibe here uh michael powell's peeping tom is referenced here the film that it reminded me of the most was cruising um william friedkin's film they kind of had that vibe to it as well so uh, if you like those films, you're probably going to like this. If you like a sleazy giallo, if you don't mind that's set in the world of pornography, again, I don't think that there is much nudity, but it's definitely explicit in other ways, even though it's not necessarily pornographic, if, if that makes sense. Like some of the murder weapons and methods are pretty intense. Um, and icky but uh it's a good movie it's it's well done it's not gonna be one of my favorite films of the year i think i saw a lot of people saying oh this is my number one film of the year i am probably not gonna go uh, that high on it um from like an objective score i'm gonna call it an 8.5 i really liked the killer and the way they handled that stuff the killer's story ultimately was really smart and well done I think it pays off really well, um, but I don't know that the juice is worth a squeeze, so to speak. Um, so um, I would call it a rental. I'll call it a rental. if it, With the caveat that you have to be comfortable with kind of that um, kind of sleazy, cruising, uh, you know, pornography world that it takes place in. I, I will say that the it's not worth the juice. What did, you, what did you say? The juice was not worth the squeeze. <laughs> yeah, that that is going to be a go-to saying. I feel like that okay. should become a thing. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, to a movie that isn't sleazy per se, um, Ma, which uh, came out. Okay. Uh, uh, when did that? When did that actually come out? That was around the springtime. Maybe I'm not sure because I wanted to see it. No, it was actually hmm. summer. 
came out in June. Summer, yeah. And yeah. I, had, I had actually wanted to see this in the theater. Um, it looked interesting to me. I am a fan, of, a big fan of Octa- Octavia Spencer. And I liked that it had this sort of, um, at least you got the vibe from the trailer, a certain fatal attraction meets, uh, I don't even know what to compare it to exactly. But here's the thing. I love this movie way more than I thought I would. Like I thought oh, really? I I thought I'd like it. I thought I had, it was like okay, you know, from what I'd seen, I was like I think I'll like that. I think I'll dig this movie. But there was just something about her and her performance. Without her, I don't know that I like this movie nearly as much, if I'm being honest. There the, the rest of the cast were fine. Uh, Juliette Lewis shows up as a, as a character. And actually, at one point, I turned to my wife and said, isn't it weird now that we watch movies with people we grew up watching that weren't really that much older than us? And they always played like the daughter or the kid. And like now they're the mom <laughs> or they're the dad. It's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. It just keeps freaking me out. But but so it, you know, she's great in it. I mean, it's got a good cast. Everybody is really fine. This is a Blumhouse movie, I believe. And so for those that aren't familiar, Ma tells the story. And then I'm going to use, use the Imdaba a synopsis a lonely woman befriends a group of teenagers and decides to let them party at her house just when the kids think her their luck couldn't get any better things start happening that make them question the intention of their host now if you watch the trailer a i feel like in the tradition of so many trailers today it gave away a couple of key things that had you not known they were coming would have been even more impactful that said the thing it does do well is i think it doesn't really give you the full range of the story. So case in point, I thought they start going to party at her house, like straight up, like within the first 10 minutes of this movie. And it takes a while. Like it's, there's a, it is a slow build. And that is probably the knock I could see most people giving this movie is it's an hour and a half long and it probably, or hour 40, it doesn't really get into like the true horror elements until the last 20, 30 minutes. Maybe 30 minutes, oh, wow. 35, maybe definitely after the first hour. I mean, it's builds to it. It's got that sort of suspenseful thriller vibe throughout kind of misery feel. Yes, to yeah, it. I was good. I was I was I, on the fence of whether or not I should use the Annie Wilkes comparison. Um, A, because I then want to be very careful. It doesn't send me down this whole rabbit hole of discussing how much I'm loving Castle Rock season two. But that aside, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, but yes, she's she's like that in in that same way. She's very. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of uh, mental health issues, but she's scary in a, in a, in a, it's hard to put, it's hard to say, again, I don't want to give anything away, but she's also extremely sympathetic at times. There was a moment in this movie where Octavia Spencer almost made me start to cry. Like there was something oh, wow. she, she does in, in response to something that I literally welled up and like it got dusty in the room and I was like, you care about like you feel bad for her this is not a situation where she's just crazy and i no 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 you feel bad for her and Hmm. you can see where her you know like a lot of the mental illness and you get you get a story for what all this is uh coming from and it really is a movie that is pretty timely quite honestly um i think it's interesting too to cast a black actress in this role, because the, if you had cast a white guy, the expectations of certain moments and scenes would have played completely differently. And it would have just mm. been, you know, because there was actually some moments where my wife was not picking up on some things about 
Ma's character. And I said, like, you don't, you didn't get that from what she just did to that person. And she's like, no, I said, okay, what if I told you she's a white guy? What would you think? And she goes, oh, okay, that would have just been, I was like, well, yeah, but th- that's what she did. I mean, it was, there was something about that dynamic that made it so much more interesting. And so, uh, and, and they do touch on the racial aspect of it a little bit, but that is not really what this movie is about. In my opinion, it's, it's, um, it's more about, trauma and and abuse and carrying shame and uh, just this need to be approved and wanted throughout your whole life and like i said it was very effective and i give 95 percent of credit to all of that to octavia spencer like i'm glad to see that she got to do this because she's she's so good for years now she's a horror fan and Mm -hmm. so like uh being in the shape of water was like even a big deal for her yeah to see her come in and play a villain and oh, then she was so wait, good. from what you said to go a step deeper with it too. That's oh. exciting. And you can tell she relishes it. I mean, there are mo- looks she gives and moments she was just having a ball and it makes the movie that much more enjoyable. So for me, Ma is a solid eight. I can neither confirm nor deny whether it might end up in my top 10. I, I will say that it's a, it is a possibility at this point. So I really enjoy this movie quite a bit. All right. So then that brings us to one that I cannot, I mean, I want to see this movie so bad, Josh, so please don't let me down. The Nightingale. I hate to be the one to break this to you. (laughs) So The Nightingale is, of course, from Jennifer Kent, who is the director of The Babadook. This is her follow-up film. Mm Mm-hmm. She does a good job here. I'm not going to say she doesn't. She does a period piece. It's about a young Irish woman in Australia, um, kind of getting her revenge it's a revenge film um on a british officer for some things that he does to her and it's very effective um it's a very very slow burn i think it feels like it's like 20 minutes too long it's two hours and 16 minutes and like i felt a lot of those minutes watching it um and the horror elements are very light they're there but this is more social horror. Like this is more about racism and sexism of the time period and what happened to uh, people in Australia, both those who went as prisoners and those who were the indigenous people and had their home invaded. Um, there's a lot of real life horror going on, but um, not what you would expect necessarily from the director of the Babadook. So I think it is going to be a disappointment to a lot of horror fans for that reason but um you know a very good period drama just very very slow um it's a thriller and again there are horror elements it's very gory at times like there are some kills here that are amazing like gory horror kills but uh you know I, I think a lot of us had pretty high hopes for jennifer kent's follow-up following the babadook and i just think um well, I just think horror fans are going to be a little let down by it, to be honest. I think as a film, it's high quality. I'd give it an eight. Uh, there's not a ton here you haven't seen before. I think it does some interesting things with shifting our allegiances to the characters. You know, you have a character who is very clearly a victim at the beginning of the film, and then she becomes pretty unlikable through the middle of the film, which is an interesting choice. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it pays off well at the end and and ultimately... Uh, it was pretty decent. So, I, yeah, I'd call it a, a rental, I think, for people who are expecting the Babadook. I would call it a, probably a low-priority rental. Hmm. 
Now, I will say that in a way, I'm very thankful you came in like this because everybody that I'd been hearing from was talking this movie up like a lot. So my expectations were exceedingly high. So you've helped tamper them it's down good. a bit. You've helped tamper them down a bit. So I, cause I, I, I feel like sometimes I go into a movie and it's my own darn fault where I get like so stoked. I'm like, Oh, and then, you know, it just, it's not the movie's fault. It's my fault. But yeah. I, I kind of like lost of the Mohicans. <laughs> then, That's I'm a- not joking. <laughs> it's more that kind of film. Wow. than anything. I mean, that else. movie's gorgeous. It's I lo- and I, I prefer Lost of the Mohicans to the Nightingale, but wow. this is kind of like Australia's version of that. Like okay. as, as that mm-hmm. dealt with native American kind of communities and peoples, sure. this deals with kind of indigenous Australian folks. And so, um, you know, and again, it's, and it's like, about, and, and like that movie, does it cast uh, somebody like uh, Daniel day Lewis to play? Uh, no, it does not. <laughs> okay. And, and Joel, for those who are sensitive, I know that you are very sensitive to sexual, mm-hmm. uh, what is the word for it but a, a sexual assault yeah yeah there's a lot of the first 30 minutes are going to be very uncomfortable for you to watch yeah um and it goes there in the real horror sense of the way as kyle bishop would define it in terms of uh, characters who may not be safe i mean it's pretty brutal so is it, the, it we're not talking like i spit on your grave level we're talking no it's not it's not that it's uh distastefully done or anything like it's you know but it's it's real stuff is going down you know it's an australian film they do not shy away from difficult okay situations i appreciate the heads up i knew that it had something to do with that i mean i got that from just some things i read but yeah. uh and again i can you know as much as you can i can stomach it in movies if it's you know key element of the plot and it's but there, you know, there's certain things where i'm just like i, I just don't want to see the degradation and you know abuse of people yeah, it's, it's not, not my cup it's of tea. not like disturbing in that way other than that just to let you know what happens and it, you know okay. and, it, and it's it's ugly it doesn't go down like cleanly it, it happens in a pretty well, ugly and way. i guess you could make the argument that's probably that's how yeah because that's what it yeah. is <laughs> so it's the violence towards children in the film that i found the most upsetting so. okay okay well thanks for that heads up actually that 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 probably just set my little flag going higher <laughs> especially <laughs> my i was thinking about you know i was thinking about watching it with my wife now you got me going eh, maybe i should watch lost the mohicans instead okay now <laughs> to a to a movie that um if <laughs> you're gonna make the argument that the nightingale might not be horror by some people's standards. I will put a whole lot of cash on the table that this movie doesn't even come close, but it's on the list. So I will mention it because I did see it. Parasite. It is. That's the- really disappointing because it is the only film that people are calling a horror film that was nominated for a Golden Globe. All I know is on IMDb, it's got comedy, drama, thriller, and that's way more accurate. <laughs> than, All right. And I thriller is probably, I mean, it's yet, yeah, I guess, kind of a little bit. I mean, there's, there's some suspenseful well, moments. It's Long Joon-ho. I mean, any, anything with South Korean tone, I yes. understand it not being straight in any specific sure, one category. Sure, 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 sure. Here's the key. It is a gorgeous movie. And it is yeah. a real, I mean, I, it's, I feel like I've stated the obvious. It's a really well-made movie. It's a beautiful movie. Um, I didn't love it. Again, here's one of those where everyone's like, oh, best movie of the year. So I got, happened to, uh, my stepfather and I were going to go see a movie. He is a, he actually had heard about it too. And he's down for, for seeing an art house type of flick every once in a while. I was like, hey, let's go see it. Um, it's 
uh, about two hours and 12 minutes long. It's funny because even though it's about 15 minutes shorter, maybe even 20 minutes shorter than Dr. Sleep, and like I said, Dr. Sleep had a couple moments that felt a little bit, but again, this movie, there were moments that it did drag for me. However, that being said, I can appreciate that I was seeing a work of art. It was just really well crafted and there was you know, the performances across the board are exceptional the story is just interesting and riveting but i wouldn't even i mean this is a movie about class and and i guess to, to a large degree class warfare but mm. it's not i mean there is a there is a scene of violence i guess you could say but there's never I, I really just, I feel would be like, if you had said to me, what genre does this fall? And the last thing I would have thought of other than science fiction <laughs> would have been horror. I would have been like a uh, dark comedy drama ish. That, that would have yeah. been where I'd gone. So again, go, I feel like it's a highly, it's like an 8.5 to a nine for me. Um, I feel like I need a range, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it, it is it, because of what it is. It's just this beautifully crafted work of art. I have no doubt this will be up for best, best picture. I, I'd be shocked if it's not. Um, mm -hmm. But it is n like this. There's no way I would put this on like a horror list, like a top 10. Right? Like, that's what's weird about it. Like It's such a good movie and that I feel like it should be on a top 10 list, but there's no way I would put it on my top 10 horror list. Just no way. I just have to give credit to Matt Singer for his one line review of this film. He says another bong hit. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well played, sir. That is a excellent. Yeah. So yeah, for me, Parasite, like I said, 8.5 to a nine is definitely one of the best of the year. It's not my personal like top five. It might my top 10 i haven't decided yet but over overall movies but uh it, it was a it, i'm happy i saw it i would definitely not call this a horror if you are a horror fan uh, and you're looking for that ee, yeah you'll be really really perturbed i'm not going to lead you down that road see it because it's a great drama dark comedy uh, that deals with social issues but don't see it if you're looking for a horror flick that's my opinion okay all right so uh then go to the perfection which i'm actually really dying to hear about because i've been wanting to see this Okay, The Perfection is a Richard Shepard film uh, from the IMDb synopsis. This is when troubled musical prodigy Charlotte, played by Allison Williams, seeks out Elizabeth, played by Logan Browning, the new star pupil of her former school. They, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. So basically what happened here was Allison Williams' character, she had gone to this really prestigious school for playing cello music school and when her mother fell sick she had to drop out of the academy and go home to take care of her mother she was a star she was one of the best players in the world and she has she comes back as now an adult and she does she can't really you know she kind of gave up on her dream in order to take care of her mom but there's a new wunderkind and that's logan browning she is the new star pupil and what it seems like is happening from this point on is kind of a sort of twisted revenge, single white female kind of film. There are a lot of twists and turns along the way, which I won't give away. Um, a lot of people were excited about this film. And so I went into it with pretty high expectations. And I have to say, I was pretty supremely disappointed in this mm. movie. I saw things coming from miles away and I didn't, it just felt false to me. And I, and I know people loved it. I know I'm the might in the minority, but I really disliked this film personally. What do you think, Dave? 
I I kind of feel the opposite. I really enjoyed it. I I liked how it went off in one direction and then sort of doubled back on itself and revealed something different. And it does mm-hmm. that a couple times throughout the movie. Yeah, I, I really like that. And and the scenes that then took place towards the end when they get all get back to the music school, uh, I thought were. I thought were pretty disturbing and, and what, what it was setting up and what it was hinting at. I thought it was pretty disturbing. I don't want to talk a lot about it either because I, I don't want to give too much of it away. But no, I I liked this film. I liked that it was quite the stuff a bit. That false to me was the Steven Weber at the Academy stuff. I I liked the stuff when it was just Logan Browning and Allison Williams. I thought their relationship was very interesting as kind of like a former master and this new star and, you know, they're kind of um, envy of one another and the romantic kind of interludes that happened between all that. All of that was really interesting. I liked when they were traveling. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to like this movie, but it just, uh, I don't know. Did not work for me. Ultimately Mm. just felt, I don't know, really forced and contrived to me, I guess, but Hmm. Especially no, I, I, and I, I couldn't take the ending. I, I didn't like the very ending, like the right. last, the last. Yeah, I didn't like the very ending of it. I'll, I'll agree with you there, but like three fourths of the way through had some cool stuff going on for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and and like it, right and, before they go back to the music school, I was like, okay, this is getting exciting. I like where this is going. Right, I, but I, and I didn't, I didn't have as much a problem with it when it got back to the music school. Um what happens, you know, what sort of started this whole thing, I think maybe a little more predictable than I, than I had originally thought like, Oh, okay. I could, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what they finally, what you find out, what set them on this path, uh, yeah. what it took them to the school. It's like, Oh, it, it was that, yeah. um, you know, and, I mean, and you're I, like, yeah. I'm in the minority here. I, I want to be clear. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I understand. So I, I get no, why. I, people like it but. yeah and i did i really did enjoy it i mean i would probably give this i'd probably give this an 8.5 i really would Whoa. i think it's worth a rental I, I i liked it that much i it it was it had some for most of its runtime it had some real surprises in there and and even when it got into more predictable territory um i liked those two characters enough uh to want to see how it played out uh, I was going to give this a 5.5. Uh, looking back at when I logged this on Letterboxd, when I had just seen it, I get, when I had just seen it, I gave it a four. <laughs> wow. So I, I didn't dislike it that much, but I will, I'll probably stick with a five. And uh, yeah, I'd call it a very low priority rental for me. Wow. Okay. This is a, a controversial pick. Okay. Yeah. Let's see about Rust <laughs> Creek. <laughs> okay. So Rust Creek was an interesting film. Uh, this is one that I had heard about from a few listeners who had said, Oh, this is like my favorite film of the year. Um, Allison Williams. No, Amanda Williams, I believe had said that <laughs> mixed up with Alice Williams, the <laughs> actress from perfection. Um, and a couple other people were really high on this film, but other than that, I hadn't heard much discussion of it. It was one that had kind of flown under the radar for me. Um, this was directed by Jen McGowan and it's written by Julie Lipson and Stu Pollard. Um, and it is about a young woman who kind of over the Thanksgiving vacation is supposed to go home to see her family for the holiday. But instead of the last minute gets a phone call that, and I believe she's in Kentucky 
in college that she has the opportunity to go to Washington DC for a job interview. And so she decides at the last minute, rather than go home to her family, she's going to take this cross country road trip to get to Washington DC. And she ends up getting stranded in the deep forests of Kentucky. And she immediately runs into some pretty unsavory characters who it's very clear uh, to the audience and not quite as clear to her uh, at first that they are up to no good and they attack her. She escapes. And, and at first I think, Oh, cool. Like this seemed kind of generic at first. Um, but this is about a girl who can really kick some ass. She's a very capable, she's a track runner. She can outrun these guys pretty easily um, <laughs> through the woods. They cannot keep up with her. She's got the stamina. She's strong. She's resourceful. She's smart. She's actually a good fighter. So I thought, okay, that's what kind of movie this is going to be. It wasn't, she gets injured very early on. And then she is kind of more typical, immobilized damsel in distress for a lot of the film. And I just thought, you know, it was this really slow burn. It was reminded me kind of of the film black rock, which is funny because it had one of the same actors from black rock. Uh, Jay Paulson was also in this. And for like the first, like 30 minutes, I just thought, Oh, I'm not into this. this is just a, another survival horror film. That's really not doing anything different. It's just in a different forest than we, than I've seen before, you know, mm-hmm. but it takes a turn, not a twist, but just the, the plot evolves in a way that I didn't expect. And the second half I found fascinating. I really enjoyed where this movie went. I loved the characters. I loved the plotting. Uh, I loved everything about what happened in the second half of this movie. I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, There are some incredible performances by actors who are not for me, super recognizable. They've all done work. Uh, You know, they're, they're working actors, but like Micah Hauptman, he was incredible jay paulson who i've already mentioned was incredible sean o'brien who i've already who i haven't mentioned yet he was awesome and then hermione corfield she funnily enough was in another film that i saw for this episode that i saw directly before i saw this movie and i didn't even recognize her so that should tell you that's how good she is in this film like she i didn't even recognize it was the same person um from the film i had just seen so wow yeah, uh, I like this. It's a little film that could, you know, I think it reminds me kind of of what keeps you alive from last year. Just a movie that um, not a lot of people are talking about. But if you if you see it, you won't be disappointed. I thought this was a lot better than that movie. I, I like this far better than what keeps you alive. But because of that kind of survival horror in the woods aspect to it, it did remind me of that to some degree. So anyway, I would give Rest Creek a. 7.5 and call it a strong rental recommendation. That's excellent. Yeah, we actually were. Yep. Uh, I was going to watch this earlier in the year, my wife and I, because we you know, like movies like this. And uh, I'm really glad you brought this back on my radar because I was as you were talking, I was looking at the IMDb page for it. And I was like, yeah, I really want to see this. And when you first when you were going down the road of in the first half hour, I was I was like, oh, crap. Well, OK, but you, you've got <laughs> me excited again. So thank you for that. Yeah, there's yeah, some uh, fun plot elements in this for sure. All right. Great. I do want to I want to see this too. I got this one on my list as well. Yeah, definitely before the end of the year. All right. What about Slaughterhouse Rules? With a Z. <laughs> okay, Slaughterhouse Rules stars 
Let me guess. Hermione Corfield. <laughs> yeah. The actress that, and I saw these films in reverse order that I'm reviewing them. But yeah, as I said, I just seen Slaughterhouse Rules and did not recognize her at all. This one I wanted to watch because of the comedic duo of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. That was the reason I was searching out this film. Um, they're not really in it together, uh, save one short scene, I believe. Uh, but And Simon Pegg's in it quite a bit. Uh, Nick Frost is kind of, they're both smaller supporting roles, and Nick Frost is close to just a cameo. But um, it mostly follows some young high school-aged kids who are at this uppity British Academy. I'll read the IMDb synopsis. An illustrious British boarding school becomes a bloody battleground when a mysterious sinkhole appears at a nearby fracking site, unleashing unspeakable horror. There's a lot of in this movie about the fracking site. It's um, too much. <laughs> I think um, the comedy here is very over the top and demonstrative and arch. Uh, the film feels a bit overlong. It's an hour and 44 minutes long. It felt 20 minutes too long. And the performances from some of the kids just felt too much. Like there's uh, Tom Rice Harry's who plays Clegg. He is just so Draco Malfoy. And because they're at this British boarding school, it just reeks of Harry Potter. We just get someone who named Hermione. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no way around it. Um, <laughs> but Michael Sheen is pretty fun in the film. Simon Pegg's pretty fun in the film. And a couple of the kids are good actors. Um, the main guy I didn't love. I'm looking for his name. I can't, I'm not finding it. But uh, but I liked I liked some of the young cast. Uh, I thought it was fun. The biggest problem the film has is that there are definitely monsters in the movie, but those monsters don't show up for at least the first hour. So it's a monster movie where the monsters are really um, not front and center, which I thought was a shame. But ultimately, um, yeah, it's just it's just a decent film. I would give this one a six out of ten, and I would call it a low priority rental. And Margot Robbie's in it. Margot Robbie is in it. She is Simon Pegg's girlfriend who has left him just before the movie starts. And so we just see her via Skype calls. Okay. <laughs> so, so he's gotcha. kind of like, it, it, he's pining over her gotcha. and she's moved on with her life. And so okay. yeah, we're just getting a, a taste of that. But. All right. Okay. Then let's go ahead and move into our feature review for tigers are not afraid. Have you never Un príncipe que quería ser tigre. Los tigres no tienen miedo. Okay, Tigers Are Not Afraid is a 2019 film, at least for the United States. It was released in Mexico all the way back in 2017, uh, but it's taken us a while to get it. Um, it's from Issa Lopez, and from the IMDb synopsis, a dark fairy tale about a gang of five children trying to survive the horrific violence of the cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war. 
So this is a really interesting movie. Uh, for obvious reasons, the minute you hear it, it's very easy to compare this to Guillermo del Toro. I would say one of the big differences is del Toro is setting his films in the past and kind of dealing with uh, the woes of today through these kind of fantasy, fanciful historical settings. This film is taking place right now in situations that are going on right now. And sometimes that can lend to kind of a forced overtly political. And like you said, Joel, even if you agree with the politics, sometimes you don't want to be hit over the head with it. Mm -hmm. This film handles that so deftly. Like it's, it's really surprising that a movie that is 100% about the drug cartels, the impact that those are having on communities never feels like it's preaching to you about that or that it's got some specific agenda. It's just literally showing you horrors happening. And because it's done in this kind of fanciful way in an ala Guillermo del Toro, it's got this additional layer of just kind of interesting, creepy, supernatural stuff going on that I felt made it extremely palpable and exciting. I was, I really liked this movie a lot. It was really imaginative and uh, there were some really cool visuals. There, there were some slow moments and it's a cast of children. And so they're not always the strongest, but I have to give credit to the director and to these kids for the most part, they're some really good performances. I don't think everything lands. And I don't know if this is Issa Lopez's first film. I guess I could have, uh, looked that up. It looks like she's written a bunch of things and yeah, directed a few things as well. Um, but this is kind of her first major directorial debut that hit the United States. And I, you feel like if someone had had just a little bit more experience, some of the moments would have landed a little bit better, but I don't want to take anything away from the film. Um, I think it pulls off what it's going for pretty well. And yeah, it was just a really fresh, exciting movie for me. Dave, do you have anything you want to say about it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that Josh said and, and comparing it to Del Toro is, is, you know, I think that's perfect because it has that combination of, of fantasy and reality and, you know, like something like Pan's Labyrinth where it's the reality that's the horror. I mean, you know, even though we're dealing with the supernatural and, and, and uh, spirits and ghosts and whatnot, and, and those scenes can be kind of creepy, it's the real world that is the most frightening and where the horror comes, especially for these kids. They're, they're kind of, uh, um, you know, what, what's left over from, uh, from, these, drug, from these drug wars and, and the trafficking and they're uh, they're the victims. They're the uh, the unseen victims uh, of this, and uh, the movie really touches on that, I think, in a strong way. Um, and it just is such a it's such a, a clever merging of of the fantastic and and the the, the horrible reality. Uh, I guess is the better way to put it. Um, and I loved it. I did. I I think. Um, I can see this one possibly turning up for me at the end of the year. Uh, you know, it's, it's a nine, I think for me, it's, it's, it's a definite nine. And I think it's one everybody has to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to make my list as well. 
it's one that I just think, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen everything yet. There's still a few to catch up on, but this is one of my favorite yeah. films I saw this year for sure. And, yeah. and it, again, like I think a more accomplished director um, would be able to execute just a little bit more in a way that would be just a little bit more satisfying and might take it over the top for some audiences who, who may, who this may fall flat for but i think isa lopez is an extremely exciting young director i think this is like the kind of director we want to see working in horror and you want to get really excited about like oh i cannot wait to see what she does next when she has more budget and we know that del toro is um, a big supporter of hers now due to this film so Hopefully she'll have a lot more budget to work with in the future and a lot more support in the future. And I like, it's just uh, the possibilities are really exciting. I do so. want to interject. Speaking of that, I don't know if you saw this on IMDb, but announced this is amazing. Untitled werewolf Western, the Lopez slash del Toro project. Boom. That is oh, wow. awesome. I like just yeah, untitled. Great. You don't have to give me a title, just untitled werewolf Western with these folks behind it yeah oh that is that, awesome that is great. super exciting that's great yeah that's gonna yeah. be great but i will say that i am a little disappointed because i did not get to watch this before and this is one that has been on my radar actually thanks to you josh uh, since you're the first person i heard about this from i saw the trailer a while back and i was like oh man this looks incredible i want to see this and then i was going to watch it before and i showed my wife the trailer and she immediately went oh my god i she got a little excited and wanted to see it i was like well crap <laughs> Then I'm going to have to wait till after we record because it was like a few days ago and I knew I was going to have time. But if I didn't do it like right then. So I was like, OK, fine. I, I will wait. I will. I love my wife dearly. So I will wait because I feel like she will probably really <laughs> like this movie as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I cannot wait to see this movie. I've heard nothing but good things. But yet I haven't. I don't feel like I've heard hyperbole. In some movies, I feel yeah. like it was hyperbole. This movie, just from what I've seen with the trailer, what I know of it, this movie seems legit worthy of the praise. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to oversell it because that would that could really negatively impact your experience. Like this is a young director; she's got great things ahead of her. I think this feels like an early Del Toro piece. If you compare this to Kronos, okay, or you compare awesome. this to the Devil's the Devil's Backbone, that's awesome. I love the both both those movies. You'll go okay, like yeah, I, you can see how that director eventually got to Pan's Labyrinth and yeah. Crimson Peak and where he went from there. That's kind of how I feel about um, is it Issa Lopez and yeah. with this film. I just you feel like okay, there are so many great ideas here. This is someone who's hugely imaginative. Like you can just feel this unbridled creativity coming from this person. And when they are able to have some financial support and some studio support and and get more in tune with their craft, they are going to be one of the greats. Like that's possible. You know, it's yeah. the, this is just, it's a film that shows potential and that's what I get excited about. But yeah, I don't want to oversell it. Cause that could really, I think it is a very quiet film. Um, it, there's aren't like big giant set pieces in this movie. There's nothing huge that happens. It's a small movie. Well, that actually excites me more because I'm kind of over that. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, but if yeah. you see, if you think about it as something like Chronos, I okay. think it'd be pleasantly. Okay, well like, that's that's great. And honestly, I think I I, I know for myself, but I, I think to this degree, I speak for all of us as horror film fans or film fans in general. Is there anything more wonderful than to find somebody like this? 
you know, or Mike Flanagan, those people that you see their work very early on and you just know you're like, there's something here. I just hope this person gets those opportunities because you can tell. And then as you see the progression and like you said, because I remember seeing Del Toro's work very early on and just being blown away by what I was seeing. And yep. even though, but even then, I feel like I was really uh, too young to truly like at the age I am now, I could see, you know, having seen the collective work of Mike Flanagan and where it's come today, seeing this movie, I'm like, fingers crossed, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping to have the reaction I think I'm going to have. And then to, to see like, oh yeah, like, or like with uh, uh, Jennifer Kent and the Babadook, which is only partly why I'm a little disappointed with what you said about the Nightingale. Um, but just knowing that these, you know, folks are you're making really great, interesting movies. So that's just really awesome. Super exciting. Yeah. All right. So one that I'm sure, well, that was our feature review, I probably should say, for uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, And next up is a movie that just by the title alone, I have a feeling Josh will rate as high or higher, Utah Cabin Murders. (laughs) Okay. And that caused him to drop off the call. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I had it on mute. We're live, folks. Yeah, that that was like the timing on that was. I, I, we need to insert. I know it was live, but in post, insert cricket. Yeah. <laughs> um, the title alone is certainly why I sought out the Utah Cabin Murders. Uh, this is a movie that I was just walking into the grocery store and I saw it uh, on the red box, and I thought, oh. I got to watch this right now. Turns out it's based on a real case that happened in Utah um, very lightly and apparently does not do that story, real story credit. And so it's sad for the people who uh, were involved in it. But apparently this director is someone who does that goes and um, bases their films off of stories ripped from the headlines and um, produces these low quality or low budget, I should say, uh, horror films. His name is Andrew Jones. And Andrew Jones is the person behind such films as Halloween Jack, Robert. We talked about Robert the Doll movie. Oh, yeah. Recently, yeah. Cabin 28, Bundy. He's done a lot of uh, just these low budget horror films. And, um, th- you know, this is his latest <laughs> and yeah, I was pretty disappointed and disgusted with it. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's a decent little home invasion film. It's very low budget, uh, not great acting. It's just disappointing that it's not the real story. They did film it. At least the exteriors in Utah in the actual, uh, snowy cabin areas where the near where the film took place. And then they shot the interiors in England in the UK so um but yeah just not i don't have much to say about it it's not a great movie um it is the kind of like red box rental you'd expect though and so i give this one a 4.5 and i would say it is a low priority red box rental all right then that takes us into the penultimate movie that we're covering tonight and that is the wind now this is one i've been very anxious to see this is all it's set in the West and I'm look, I'm, I really yeah, want to hear what you have to really say bad. about The trailer this. looked yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say the trailer sold a film to me that did not show up on screen until very late in the movie. And I was afraid for a while it was never coming at all because mm-hmm. there are some things you see in the trailer that um, you kind of see how they play out in the movie very early. And you're like, oh, that's not what it looked like it was in the trailer. 
<laughs> and I was really bummed out at first. Um, okay, The Wind is a 2019 film. It is directed by Emma Tammy and written by Teresa Sutherland. And the IMDb synopsis is a plains woman faces the harshness and isolation of the untamed land in the Western frontier of the late 1800s. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of struggling at this point of the year with slow burn movies about people slowly going insane. I just feel like I saw one too many of those this year. Having said that, I think if you enjoyed something like the witch, this feels similar to that kind of pacing. Um, it's not quite that level of quality, but it's still good. And it, and it's got this New Mexico setting where it just feels like a little house on the prairie kind of a, a thing. And it's just the setting is really awesome. And it's really about a woman, as the IMDb synopsis says, played by Caitlin Gerard, And she basically lives alone in this cabin because her husband has gone working. We're not totally sure what he does or at least i don't remember what he does but he'll have to leave for work on his horse for long stretches of time and she's at home alone and she's slowly going crazy and is she hearing things is she seeing things is there something threatening her we're not quite sure one of the things that i think is a really strong choice by the film is it tells the film in non-chronological order so um that adds a level of interest because and keeps you from getting bored despite the slow burn because you're always kind of like, oh, wait, what's happening? Wait, oh, this character's alive? Oh, this character's dead. Like, oh, okay, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and and it's because it's uh, told out of sequence. And so that, that was nice. Um, and then I think by the end of the movie, like the last, let's see, this is an hour and 26 minutes long. I'm going to guess it's at least 40 minutes, if not a full hour, that the kind of threat, you're thinking is going to show up based on the trailer and the poster does show up. And then you're like, and then after that, I was like, okay, few. And then it does feel like there's a whole lot packed into that last little bit. And I, I personally would have preferred if it had been spread out a little bit more, we've got a little bit more of that throughout, but you know, whatever beggars can't be choosers. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's not, it's not my film. So, uh, you know, they, they made it the way they wanted to. I found it enjoyable had I not just binge watched a bunch of slow burns where people slowly go insane, I probably in a vacuum would have enjoyed this movie more on my first viewing than I did, but I loved it. I love the setting, love the production design costumes. The performances were good. It's a cool idea for a story. The, the seed of the story demons of the plains was really fun when they kind of get around to that. And I love the idea how they plant that seed in the story. I thought it was a really cool idea for a horror film. So yeah, I would give the wind a an eight and I would call it a rental. Excellent. And what about wrinkles? The clown wrinkles, the clown. I was so disappointed by wrinkles. No! The clown. Come on, Josh. I'm so I, that trailer, no. man. I was so creeped out by. I'm like, this looks amazing. Yeah, and <sighs> the trailer really is better than the movie. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> it's frustrating. Some of it has to do with the way the film is sold. It's it's good. It's not bad. It's just that like it's one of those movies. I got we got a review like this when my first documentary came out, where someone said like. 
oh, it's too bad that this is the movie that told the story, you know, like this is a good story. I, hopefully in the future, someone better will <laughs> tell the story or something like that. <laughs> and I remember at the time being like, screw you, dude. Like, <laughs> there's nobody else ever could have told this the way we did because nobody else would have had access to all this. Fungible. And now like years removed, seeing the way my film's aged and then watching a film like this, I get that sentiment. You're like, okay, this is a gold mine of content but the way it's presented doesn't capitalize on that gold mine of content, you know? And some of that's just the editing. Some of it are very specific directorial choices. Uh, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes long. It could have easily been an hour long and it would have been better. Uh, it's, it feels a little stretched out. I feel like there's enough here to do a full feature documentary, but just the way they present it, I don't know. It was really frustrating. There's kind of a big midway, switch that just feels really forced and unfair to the audience and they didn't need to do it at least they didn't need to do it in the way that they did i felt like they could have done it at Hmm. 30 minutes in instead of or 20 minutes in instead of 40 or 50 minutes you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it just it was frustrating anyway it's an interesting story in florida Parents it, could hire Wrinkles the Clown to scare their misbehaving <laughs> children. Genius. Yeah, that, that is, by the way, <laughs> shocking that it's in Florida. As spe- <laughs> speaking, speaking as the Florida native, that is shocking to learn that such wackiness would happen in my home state. <laughs> I, I like this movie. I wanted to like it more than I did. It's just a little bit frustrating because you just think it could have been like a 10. It could have been... Like when I saw the trailer, I just thought, oh, for sure, that's going to be my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I thought the, I, I thought the same thing. I think there's no way this is not in my top ten. There's just no yeah. way. This is- and and it could maybe still crawl into the very bottom of an honorable mention or a bottom of a top ten. But like again, for a film that could have been a ten, to say it was a seven or seven point five, like yeah, it was. Is that, is that your rating? Seriously. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. Oh, it's man, a I was seven. expecting like a five point five. No, and I, yeah, and I, and I apologize to Michael Beck Nichols. You know, if that is your real name, um, <laughs> it, I don't mean to be so harsh on the film. It's just the trailer. Your trailer was too good, bro. Can I? Can I ask? Can I ask a really obvious question that I know that I'm not the only one that's thinking it? Yes, do, please. Do you think that your your knowledge of how the sausage is made? being that you yourself are a documentary filmmaker, could that have any way, shape, or like for somebody like me or Dave or anybody who hasn't made our fair share of documentaries, might we go sure. into it differently than you did? Sure. I, I, that's fair. But at the same time, like th- I just looked at our listeners on Letterboxd or I just looked on Letterboxd and that seemed to be, the sentiment common <laughs> common thread away. okay that's fair yeah all right uh, not necessarily from our listeners as i look at our listeners they all seem to actually like it more than me but there are a lot of people who are just kind of like what why did they do this and it, it's just a little bit of a cheat to the audience and it, and i think they take some creative liberty here and i think they take a little bit too much creative liberty and i think they didn't need to and they take it it goes on for too long and if they had just cut that a little bit shorter i'd have appreciated that there's also just a ton of kind of man on the street interviews about wrinkles the clown but they do it via skype which is Hmm. it makes sense for the story of this of this guy who was this internet phenom and then children started contacting him online um 
so it makes sense why they did it, but it just felt there's especially there was a second section of it where they go back to it later in the film and just felt unnecessary. It felt like they were stretching out to try to get this feature length, you mm-hmm. know. And and again, as a documentary filmmaker, I'd be furious if I heard somebody say this kind <laughs> of stuff. So I'm sorry to the director, but it just it just it's a little bit frustrating. Like as a viewer, I just wanted to bring in a different editor and do another pass on it or something. Cause I wanted to love this. I wanted it to be my favorite film of the year yeah. and I liked it. I wonder if that's but, how you feel about this episode. <laughs> After we finish it, I really wanted to love it, but it really needed an editor. This, this, this yeah. is exactly why I spent 82 hours per episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm sitting here wondering if Josh is going to break out in cold sweats before hitting post. Yeah, I know. Without, He'll be like, I can't do it. I can, well, I'm, right. sure, I'm sure I'll have to do a couple tweaks, but hopefully we've saved him. I don't know. At least a decent portion of his life. Uh, right. on this one we'll see All right. here, here are just a couple of random reviews these are popular reviews on letterboxd okay mm-hmm. um could have been so much better in the way they decided to tackle this worldwide phenomenon first half was meh second half was fascinating hmm. this is another review it's definitely interesting conceptually but the film itself feels hollow at times the second half i felt to be fairly fascinating change in direction and tone but again i didn't feel like it went in depth enough to have much of a lasting effect like those pretty much capture okay. uh, the feelings i had about it fair enough hmm. fair enough all right well then i guess that will wrap up our coverage of these 28 movies from 2019 and uh please let us know your thoughts over on the site for the show notes for this episode we'd love to hear what you think about this particular uh list of movies which ones you love which ones you didn't which ones you uh vehemently disagree with josh about only me <laughs> only josh only josh <laughs> and uh yeah so any any other things you guys want to add before we cast off no i don't think so i you know i i was disappointed by the golden globe nominations that came out today as we're recording mm. uh to not see any horror films on there especially lupita nyango that was a huge yeah, that's disappointment. ridiculous yeah yes. i agree so yeah that that was a bummer. Yeah. I liked the Ghostbusters trailer oh, that came look, out. Very helpful. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Cool. So I 100% agree with you. Yeah, so the Ghostbusters trailer was very exciting. I, uh, I I think that that was a wonderful angle to take on it. I think that they they're they're doing something cool. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Very cool. And before we go, we needed to make sure that we would be beyond remiss if we didn't all give a special thanks to one of our awesome listeners and good buddy who came through for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Pastor Matt from Father Son Watch Horror Podcast and a longtime listener of HMP even before he started his awesome new podcast with the son who's also a listener. Yeah, he went to Camp Novi Bosco for a Friday the 13th event. He actually got a tour of the grounds and it, Tom Savini was there. A bunch of awesome people associated with the franchise were there. And it sounded like a great time. I know some of our other listeners were able to go to that as well. Tom, I know, was there. Uh, he let us know about that. But Pastor Matt was so gracious. He got some posters autographed for each of us. And it was just one of the coolest things that I own now is my autographed Friday the 13th poster from Tom Savini. I just could not be 
more enthusiastic about it. So thank you so much, Pastor Matt. Yes, definitely. Thank you. I, I received the poster, uh, an autograph poster also, and it's it's great. It was actually the first piece of mail I opened after my uh, operation. I got home from the hospital and uh, there was a little pile of mail for me and that was sitting on top of it. So that was the first thing I opened. So it uh, actually brought a smile to my face uh, at a time when I needed it. So thank you very much, sir. Uh, it is most appreciated and um, still listening to uh, father and son watch horror movies and uh, still enjoying the heck out of it. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's actually really awesome. That that, that yeah. perfect perfect timing. That is fantastic. And uh, thank you for mine as well. Uh, you got me uh, Adrian King, which is uh, that is awesome. Actually, I now have two Scream Queens from the Friday Thirteenth series. I have Adrian King and I have Dana Kimmel from Part Three. So it's like a collection. That's not creepy. It's creepy at all, right? I mean, that I'm. girls. <laughs> <laughs> that's normal. I, I, that's totally normal. Not weird at all. <laughs> All right, so Josh, you want to let everybody know where they can find you online? Yeah, follow me on social media at Icarus Arts. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and Letterboxd as well. You can find me, and then occasionally, when I remember, I do go, like I did today, and read some of our listeners' reactions to films. So if you want your listener reactions read, find me and Dave on Letterboxd. Eventually, we got Joel on there, too, but... Uh, that's it thanks for listening to the show and hopefully this live format worked out okay for everyone i think we actually didn't ramble too much i think generally we will ramble a little bit more we just had so many movies to get through tonight Mm -hmm. that we had to run a tight ship even though it wasn't edited yeah so um, i think generally we'll have a little more conversational stuff going on on these live episodes sure but i will say that considering there's many movies we just went through i'm impressed (laughs) <laughs> I'm impressed, dude. And again, I just want to remind everybody to submit your top 10 horror movies for 2019. Go to horrormoviepodcast.com. Look for the blog post. It will probably be the post underneath the post for this episode. And you can submit your top 10 horror movies. Again, remember to check with IMDb on the exact spelling. Not because we're grammar Nazis, but because if it is misspelled, <laughs> it will not be totaled as a vote for your particular movie. Additionally, if you would like to submit a mini review for your number one film of the year, you can do that by emailing us that review to horrormoviecast at gmail.com. That is horrormoviecast, not podcast, cast at gmail.com. Awesome. Dave, where can they find you? At the uh, same places as always, dvdinfatuation.com on uh, Twitter at DVD Infatuation. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Letterboxd as just mentioned. Uh, Instagram, which I I think I checked this year. And um, <laughs> as far as other podcasts, uh, I am on the uh, Universal Monsters cast, now the Gods and Monsters cast, which uh, will be making a comeback pretty soon. And the also, Invisible Man comes out in February, so we're yes. doing it, guys. Yeah, we got, we got to at least Absolutely. cover that. We have to at least cover that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, also, Land of the Creeps, which uh, can be found at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. And that's with Greg Amortis and Haddonfield Hatchet and Bill Van Vagel and a slew of others. All right. And I can also be found on the Gods and Monsters cast uh, when we get to it. And in all seriousness, we we have to at least cover The Invisible Man. First off, that movie looks incredible. But secondly, right. you know, come on. We, we got to at least cover that. Uh, and then right. Retro Movie Geek 
Daryl.com. Go over and check that out. My my beloved co-host, Daryl and Peter. It's a very calm, focused show. You won't remotely be annoyed by the dumb things we say. So uh, be sure to check that out. And uh, remember, we love reading and responding to your comments. So we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. It's a wonderful group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. And if you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 at patreon.com slash moviepodcastnetwork. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> wow, guys. Got right to the end, and he screws... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I we did it. For- yeah, there we go. Ready with the one-two checker. Rex in effect is in effect and on the wrecker. That's the one I was done. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and my co-hosts tonight are... You missed your cue, Dave. <laughs> I was on mute. God damn it. <laughs> okay, so... 187, son. <laughs> I just realized it 187 murder. Sorry, I, I want to fix that. <laughs> right? Is it 187? <laughs> isn't that the police code for murder? Am I wrong? Right? Isn't that, isn't that 187? Yeah, well, because of the Sam Jackson movie. Yeah, that, well, that, yeah. yeah right, exactly. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. <clears throat> Which, yeah. by the way, when my wife and I were teachers, we would use that to de-stress. We would watch that in the principal. All right. <clears throat> okay, here we go again.